0: The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts.
1: On today's show, we'll be covering all the latest news, answering your questions, and doing week two of the final countdown. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network and Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our wrestling Tea store, prostlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsouplexcom slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts. Custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW world to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. All right, young boy, we've got a lot of news, a lot of questions, but first up from our good old pal Maserati, he wants to know how the two of us are holding up. That's most important to him.
0: (laughs) I'm glad that. you know, our well-being is uh, of such significant uh, concern to, <laughs> to to Greg. <laughs> um, cool. So, I guess I'm doing all right.
1: Yeah, I'm doing all right as well.
0: I mean, I don't know. You know, um, life is obviously different for everybody right now. Um, things are kind of cool, like. For me, and I think I might say this on the show before, but like for me, I'm very introverted. So, like staying inside this often is kind of how I normally am, anyways. But at the same time, like I'm not going stir crazy or anything like that. But some things kind of get a little monotonous, you know? Yeah. Like I would like, you know, my 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 routines are. I think probably for like most people, it's the same thing. Like uh, my routines are pretty much the same most days and there's not a lot of things changing it up and so that can be you know uh just a little boring i guess you would say
1: (laughs) yeah yeah for me like monday through friday afternoon is pretty much the same still working still kind of doing the same stuff you know working at home now you know walking the dog all that good stuff but then like friday night and saturday i'm just like I wish there was FIP. I wish there was a Largo Loop show. Like, I, w- I wish the boys can come over and we could watch, like, old wrestling and, you know, put, do our commentary over it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, like, I'm, I'm ready for this to be over. Like, I'm ready for everyone not to have to be afraid when they go out and everything like that. Um... You know, as the thing kind of continues on, it's continuously affecting people. Um, you know, I don't know anyone firsthand that has it, but I know multiple people now at this point that have loved ones and family members and friends who've been affected or uh, unfortunately even uh, people have passed away uh, due to the, you know, the circumstances right now. So um, it's, still, it's still a pretty serious thing. Um fortunately, you know, here in Florida, uh <laughs> we're not really a political podcast, but you know, um Governor Ron DeSantis thinks it's a good idea to open these beaches up. So, that's cool.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Jacksonville Beach opened up a couple days ago and it, it was packed as soon as they opened it up, so Yeah. Yeah,
0: um. it's it's freaking crazy. Like stuff stuff is starting to hit the fan here in Florida like um yeah. A lot of projections show that it's going to be worse here than other parts of the country just based on the bad decisions that are being made as far as policies and everything. Obviously, obviously, look at look at what kind of businesses are being deemed essential. So uh, (laughs) I'm I'm talking about it like people don't know. Like, obviously, everyone kind of knows what's going on in this in this state. Like we're it's kind of embarrassing, to be honest.
1: Yeah. And to, uh, you know, kind of segue into the news we had no a, no no
0: we before we go into the news we got to talk about something that is well two things there are
1: two things i want to bring up you both. always kill my segues
0: <laughs> no i gotta kill your segues bro because you want to go into the actual news and we got to talk about something that's two things that are bigger than the news okay okay number one how was Bloodsport? you finally freaking <laughs> watched john claude van damme Bloodsport. tell me about it
1: yeah, it, it was awesome. I know you, you 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 had already shown me like one of the the ending scenes like a while ago, but yeah, I watched the whole movie. It was awesome. Lots of V triggers, juice effects. Uh, it was it was a good movie. How,
0: what would you rate that movie?
1: Uh, I don't know, maybe somewhere like four and a quarter, four and a half, somewhere in that range.
0: All right, that's gonna take us to the next thing we need to talk about. So you know. It's been a long time since we talked about being the elite on this show, but the 200th episode dropped today. We both watched it. Jeremy, tell tell the listeners what you rated that being the elite match.
1: So I rated Matt Jackson versus Nick Jackson. Balls count anywhere, (laughs) 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 4.75.
0: Oh, my God. All right. I don't even have to... I'm not even gonna comment on it. I just want everyone to know. I want the world to know about this.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. Blue Champa and Gargano and Edge and Orton out the water had those mul- were th- those
0: those those matches were le- like oh, god
1: awful though. Exactly, and they were supposed to be the same concept. Uh, you know, we had weeks of build here. They were building this match for several weeks. Uh, you know. Several bumps, several suplexes on the hard grass, on the, in the hard gym floor. Lots of high spots. You know, he even had some uh, magic from uh, Nick Jackson. Um, pulled a, some old school to the barbershop spot there. Lot, lots of great stuff, great action. I loved it. I enjoyed it so much. It was awesome.
0: God, I mean, that's it's not a four and three quarter star match though. <laughs> 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 like it's not. Also, I'll tell you this: as far as, like I enjoyed it, I thought it was very funny. Uh, I thought it was, it was very interesting, but uh, you know, like it's not better than like the graveyard match. Mm. as far as cinematic like presentations, it's just not
1: like. Arguably. Well, well, this wasn't really like cinematic though. Like they were just ha- this, this, this. They were cinematic. having a false count anywhere match. They those guys were filming nope. a graveyard movie.
0: Nah, that was not the same. They. Th- they, they did heavy editing to this thing. They had multiple camera angles. They, this was like a... Yeah, th- that was cinematic.
1: No it, was
0: the right. sa- it, it was like the same thing as uh, like Gargano and Edge and Orton and all that.
1: But much high-class, top top. Oh, my stuff. God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was a part of me that's like, you know, I don't know like if I would show this to a non-wrestling fan. Because it, part of it is like it, it was really funny and entertaining, but then there's a part of it that was like this kind of embarrassing. So like I don't, I don't know. Like I would be really torn.
1: No, you know what? You know what's embarrassing is like every time I come home, go to my parents' house, and they're like, my dad's like, oh I I was uh, watching that that Friday night SmackDown, and I see this thing going on with uh, the fiend or X Y Z character, and I'm just like, I don't watch that crap. Dad, do not talk to me about this.
0: I don't. I, I mean, yes, like. One doesn't denote the other, but like some of the some of the stuff that they did in that match. Now, keep in mind, I don't think that that match is actually intended to be taken seriously, but a lot of it was really shitty. Like it actually was. Like like a lot of the stuff that people complain about when it comes to Young Bucks, like their offense looks really weak. Uh, it they don't. It's hard to take them seriously. Like they couldn't actually hurt someone, and like it's very obvious. Like that stuff was all very apparent in that match. Like as far as like their offense which i don't i'm not like harping on it too much because i'm like yo it, it's a funny match it's not to be taken seriously but like i don't know if they should have done that because i think it it exposes not the business but them it exposes all the things that people talk about negatively about them it's like very glaring in that presentation
1: yeah i guess i guess you could say that but i don't know i loved it i enjoyed it a lot so if you haven't nice. seen it yet, check out BT two hundred on the BT YouTube channel.
0: I will say I enjoy. I found it more entertaining than most empty arena wrestling that we've seen since this thing started.
1: So it's the match of the quarantine, and uh... I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk some New Japan Pro Wrestling. So on last Wednesday, April fifteenth, led by Bushiroad Company Director. Uh, Takaki Kadani, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and NWW chairman Naoki Sugabayashi, joint representatives from Stardom Pro Wrestling Noah, All Japan Pro Wrestling, DDT Pro Wrestling, Diana, and Tokyo Joe Pro Wrestling at the Tokyo Lawyers House Assembly Hall. Uh, Together, the company representatives were present to consult with the Japanese Ministry of Education, Culture, Science, and Technology and former NJPW wrestler and somebody we've been talking about in the final countdown, Hiroshi Hasei to discuss how the COVID-19 crisis has affected the pro wrestling industry in Japan. We have this quote here from Roshi Tanahashi. He says, while events have been canceled, our wrestlers have been training diligently and maintaining their focus for an eventual return. Yes, not being able to wrestle does not make a lot of us, does make a lot of us concerned for our livelihoods. But in the world of sports, be the baseball, soccer, or sumo, I feel that professional wrestling should be the anchor. I think it should be acceptable for professional wrestling to be the last sport to return to full activity. I want people to know that when professional wrestling is back, then and only then, it means truly that Japanese entertainment has properly recovered. Huh?
0: Interesting. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts here?
1: So yeah, it's very interesting. You know, we you know get a lot of questions and a lot of comments, and you know, will. Will it ever be possible for all these, you know, Puro promotions to work together and possibly do some kind of super show? And what's the kind of communication between these guys? And we're seeing kind of a united front here with, you know, major representatives from all these top Joshi and Puro um, companies in Japan coming together and expressing concerns of COVID. So it's very interesting to see all the companies kind of coming together and being here and, you know, meeting with former wrestler now um, in the government Hiroshi Hase, so just all all together a very interesting situation and it just kind of goes along with the New Japan side, with Tanahashi's comments that it seems like they're going to wait until they can get the full, clear go to bring back New Japan
0: Yeah, I I, uh, also find it to be very interesting you know, there have been um, not, I wouldn't say speculations but like, kind of murmuring amongst like the uh, you know, per Rezu intelligentsia, you know, the fan base of like, once this does happen, is there a chance for these companies to work together? You've had comments from Okada in the past, things of that nature. And, um, you know, just the fact that they all were in the same place, kind of striving for the same thing is, is kind of a good sign towards that. But in terms of something that's a little more real, real world based, I think it's, pretty incredible that you have all these different, uh, entities joining together to not just rally for their own individual businesses, but for the wrestlers that are involved. Um, you know, basically they were kind of like going to the, um, to the government and yes, they were sort of like lobbying that they'd be allowed to wrestle, uh, provided, you know, the conditions were right. Like they did say like, you know, they want the government to, to, uh, supply them with testing means and with safety measures and guidelines, but they also lobbied that, uh, the companies as well as the wrestlers be compensated or, you know, or at least consider compensating them during this time while they were out. So, you know, it's one thing when you have new Japan doing something like that, which, kind of makes sense because they're a larger company but they're not just doing it on their behalf they're going out and joining forces with like noah it's like you've got like cyber agent and Bushi road working together major competitors in the same marketplace working together uh you know all japan um you know tokyo joshi pro diana all that like that's something that i don't think you would ever really unless something really changed you would never see wwe or uh you know aw meeting up and doing something like this in the current climate um you know going to congress or going to donald trump or whatever you know right so I, i don't know i think that's pretty interesting you know from from what i gathered about this whole thing it's not just so much about like the companies looking out for themselves but looking out for each other and also looking out for the performers who are involved as well which is you know uh just it's a completely different narrative in the East and what you're seeing here in the West.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting situation there. And then we also had a report here from Dave Meltzer and the wrestling observer that NJPW is taking care of talent during this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, NW, NJPW will continue to pay all staff members and those under contract full salary and benefits. Uh, so yeah, new Japan taking care of the guys during this thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, they're not, you know, bloodletting and <laughs> firing a tenth of the, the workforce, which is crazy. And, you know, hats off to people in the in the wrestling industry who are doing this. I don't know, you know, how viable for a business decision that really even is for some of these companies. But, I mean, we have reports that, like, MLW is doing the same thing. Impact's doing the same thing. Ring of Honor is doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Right. AEW. Um New Japan. So, I mean, that's, that's a great thing to hear. You know, it's just unfortunate that the industry leaders, the, the one company is not even taking in consideration, you know, they're taking consideration, their board and their investors and their trustees, as opposed to their talent or, you know, their employees.
1: Yeah. And we'll talk about them in in a little bit here. Uh but also up on njpw1972.com one
0: one thing i did want to say uh before we move on i don't really i actually have seen some other new japan wrestlers uh kind of speaking out Uh, i think like nagata was one of them who it seems like they're like just wanting to wrestle
1: regardless yeah was. (laughs) yeah nagata tweeted something about like yeah i forgot exactly what the tweet was but pretty much essentially like yeah i'm ready to go like (laughs) i'm ready to wrestle um and then it, it's
0: interesting you have Tanahashi over here like talking about like them being the last thing to, to to go. I I don't I find like Tanahashi's comments admirable, but not actually that logical, to be honest with you. Like I don't know why. And it, it's a cool like attitude take, but like why should wrestling be the last thing? Like why does wrestling have to be the last thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like it's like the wise and conscious thing to say is like. When it's safe, then wrestling should come back, you know? When right. when science and medical examiners and reports say that it's safe to come back, then we'll come back. But, like, I don't want everything else to come back and then New Japan. Like, that's <laughs> stupid. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> that's, like, that's like, you know, you're the dude who, like, opens the door for, you're at, like, you're out with like 30 people and you open the door and then you just keep holding the door for everybody. And like, you were the first one at the door but you let everyone else out. And now you're like the last one and you get the crappy seat when you get in like, nah, dude.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Open the door for
0: like, open the door for like two or three people and then sneak your way in and let someone else do it. Yeah. It's not, that's what I do.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh man. Um, so also up on NJPW1972.com There's a second part of Desperado's Interview and there's also Part one of a Shingo Q&A interview where fans got to submit Questions and Shingo answers them Also up they have A new episode of the recount looking at NJPW's most vicious Outsiders in this episode they Highlight some of the, the recent Outsiders being John Moxley And Kenta
0: I watched this Um I had an interesting thought. They didn't mention Jericho.
1: Yeah, because I don't know. I guess because they're all, maybe only looking back within the last year or so. I guess and Jericho. No, they
0: they started with right, they started uh, started AJ. With, yeah,
1: that's right. They did start with AJ.
0: I mean, they did uh, a recount, you know, about the Painmaker and his history and everything. So it might not mean anything, but I just thought it was kind of kind of weird because the, almost all of those. Uh, different um they've done recounts talking about all these different guys at different points and they're kind of recycling a lot of the same like footage you know yeah so i just i just thought it was weird it's like one of the most notable outsiders who attacks people obviously is jerko they didn't bring him up in this recount i thought it was kind of kind of interesting
1: yeah yeah because yeah they jump from the one from like aj and like jump from aj to like kenta and then moxley so yeah very interesting Also, we have uh, David Finley, who's on the NJPW English podcast this week. Check that out with our friend Chris Charlton. And then uh, last thing here in the New Japan side of things. So I saw some tweets about this. I've seen some comments on Reddit. But apparently, Miho Abe has announced that she is no longer with Chi and is now with Taguchi. Yeah. Have you seen this?
0: Yeah, I saw it. But um, I couldn't find any, like, really, truly reliable – source for it i did go look at her uh pages like because uh, it looks like she tweeted it out and i saw people like translating it but it was hard for me to get uh, like a, a real grasp on what they were talking about i'm like is this a shoot is this storyline is this like gonna be held up uh you know by by the company <laughs> i really just i really just don't know
1: yeah, I, I was also trying to get some translations on the tweets, and I couldn't really, like, the translations were kind of weird. I couldn't really make out exactly what they were talking about, what exactly was going on, but yeah. Right. It'd be very interesting to see where this whole Miho Abe-Tiguchi-Kaichi love triangle goes down the line.
0: I mean, we've had interactions in the past where, like, Miho Abe has been, like, uh, you know, a fixture of infatuation for, you know, the the pervert Teguchi. Um, I don't know, maybe she's, like, going to show up as, like, his assistant coach with, like, a play-by-play scoreboard and, like, wearing, like, an assistant coach-like band when she comes well, back. Or maybe,
1: maybe she'll be his cheerleader since he's a coach. Uh,
0: you know, I thought I was going to say that, but I didn't want to be demeaning, and then you <laughs> took it there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's for real or not. Like, I, you know, I didn't necessarily... I th- never actually thought in real life that, the, that her and tai Chi were together. I'm not saying that I think they are, but, like, what if what if they were? I don't know. I guess we need to ask someone who, like, knows more about this stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, we need to hit somebody up that can uh, give us some more information on this.
0: Because, like, what if, what if, like, in New Japan, like, your valet is, like, your real-life, like, shoot girlfriend? And, like, <laughs> she really left, like, Tai Chi for
1: Toguchi. Well, I mean, Peter's with Mutra uh, on screen, but it's with Fale, so...
0: Yeah, and with Fale's permission... <laughs> that's his. That's his homeboy.
1: <laughs> so yeah. On the other news, so last Wednesday was also, uh, you know, Black Wednesday. In
0: why does the guy be black? <laughs> that's fucked up.
1: <laughs> For uh, the WWE, they released and furloughed several wrestlers, talent, producers, employees. Um, a lot of interesting names, obviously. Two of those names, former NJPW stars, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows. Carl Anderson did post a video on his Twitter teasing a return to New Japan Pro Wrestling and also kind of coming out of the releases and the furloughs and WWE trying to make their numbers look good for their investors and the stock market. It seems like NXT Japan is off the table right now with uh, Kendo Kashin uh, being released and there's been a lot of. There's was a Tokyo sports article talking about it and people kind of close on the inside who were kind of working on that project have been saying, yeah, it's, it's off the table for right now.
0: Yeah. He actually had some comments today saying that because he came back to the States and then got let go, he's now stuck in America and is having trouble getting home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: And it's not the first story like that, that we've heard, you know, we've heard stories about like, uh, Curt Hawkins, him and his family, his wife's pregnant, so neither of them have, his, have an income right now. Uh, obviously, Mike, Mike and Maria Kanellis, uh not working, obviously, both let go. Uh, Dan Matha, who was a Largo Loop talent that uh, we're very familiar with and have watched for years, um, most listeners are probably not as familiar with him, but like, dude was in a, a life threatening car accident before he got let go. Right. almost died was literally ejected from the car company knew about it and then called him and let him go and he's still and like I, I don't know if he's still in the hospital or like last i checked he was
1: yeah that's ridiculous uh, no way jose they had him traveling to, oh, yeah. to raw and as he's on the way to raw he's getting a text letting you know that he's released
0: yeah and not not only that like they had like sarah logan working so like they're they're like hey Come, come work these live shows, endanger yourself. Oh, by the way, two days later, you're fired. <laughs> like, what the fuck
1: is wrong <laughs> they with they this company? And they got Drake Maverick, who they released, and he's still competing in the uh, NXT Cruiserweight, the interim Cruiserweight tournament that they're doing. Uh, so, yeah. I,
0: I, I'll i say this. If you want some good insight as to what's going on, I would highly recommend you check out the WrestleNomics podcast, uh, part of the uh, Voice of Wrestling podcast. Um, podcast network but uh you know one thing i will say is like they're paying out dividends to their after this they like the, the the earnings report is coming up thursday so we'll know more by that point but like from what i understand right now is that they're paying out dividends uh for this quarter to their investors the dividends that they're gonna be paying out would have taken care of the salary of all these employees that got let go for four years and instead they're cutting all these, and Vince is making some, like millions and millions and millions of dollars off of this move and off the bankruptcy, uh, you know, that they filed for XFL. So like, he's winning in this situation.
1: Yeah. It, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's really crazy. Like it's, um, you know, it's just, it's a company that is showing that not only do they not care about the health or well well-being of their performers they, until just the other day they were literally like yeah you guys are gonna be traveling coming in and working every single uh, you know every every single taping now it's only every two weeks but you know it takes two weeks to quarantine to go see your family if you have a family and things of that nature if you're traveling so you're gonna expose yourself hypothetically possibly and then you still can't go see your family after this nobody knows how long this is gonna go on so like this is a company that's like we don't give a fuck about you or your family life. You know, you're a pawn. We'll, you know, whatever happens, happens. And then, uh, you know, once you're expendable, literally, we're going to get rid of all of you. Like, they hoarded all this talent for years and years. Didn't want to let them go. Now they're going to let them go because it benefits the company. And not only that, they know that there's nowhere that that these people can go because it's not a buyer's market right now.
1: Right. Nobody's running. Nobody can go to New Japan, Ring of Honor, MLW, Impact, anywhere.
0: Right. Yeah, let's say tomorrow, you know, we talked about the revival. Let's say tomorrow the revival announces like we're going to we've signed with New Japan. Cool. When's that happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a bad situation. Like it's it's actually really repulsive and repugnant like I don't know, man. Like I'll just say this, Jeremy, like Obviously, I don't really keep up with, the pro- with uh, WWE as a product, and you know that. when did that start for me?
1: When you stopped following WWE, um, I don't know, like three, four years ago?
0: But do you remember the specific event of oh. that happened?
1: Oh, yeah, WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans.
0: Right, and what was it specifically that made me stop following them?
1: Uh, the AJ-style Shinsuke Nakamura match, how horrible it was, and the horrible heel turn.
0: You would think that that's what it was. Oh, no, it was, a, it was. was
1: a Roman, the Roman getting his head split with Brock.
0: It's that they let their star performer go out there and get split to the white meat by a professional MMA fighter, and then they jobbed him. And they literally put his life in danger for no fucking reason. Like, literally no fucking reason. Well, because it's part of a, a contract negotiation with, with a prima donna like Brock. So... It, i've been like we always hear it uh keep uh you know social suex. we always talk about being ahead i've been ahead i've this <laughs> company didn't give a fuck about these guys for a long time you know
1: yeah i mean i mean you can go back as far as Vince Jr. has been in control you can find several instances of him not caring about performers and kind of putting the company uh, ahead of those people so
0: oh and boy oh boy that dark side of the ring documentary which one the one from last week, the uh, Nancy oh, Argent- oh, yeah, the Argentino one,
1: Snuka, yeah.
0: Bad week for uh, Vince. <laughs> yeah. Aside from all the money he's paying himself, bad week for him.
1: <laughs> so we got some questions kind of related to this topic. So first from Reddit user Savage Koala ninety three: With Carl Anderson on the market, does he go to AEW, return with Gallows, or return with a new partner? Carl has had multiple partners in his NJPW career, and I think replacing Gallows with Chase Owens would create a team with a far higher ceiling match quality-wise than Gallows and Anderson have ever had? Uh,
0: it's a great question. You know, um, I think it would probably make the most sense for him to go back to working in Japan. Uh, from what I, I mean, A, the money, B, the history, the, the relationships that he has with the performers here. Obviously, the, just a, f- a few weeks ago, uh, Gallows, Anderson, and Rocky Romero start up the Talkin' Shop uh, podcast again, which yeah. I thought was strange at the time. I was like, how are they allowed to do that?
1: <laughs> right, they were still on a contract at that time.
0: And I think that's a clear indication of what would possibly happen. Plus, like, you know, Bullet Club kind of hasn't felt like the Bullet Club in a long time, but Gallows and Anderson are are like two of the founding guys that were, you know, basically there from the very beginning. In fact, like, for a majority of its history like Carl Anderson was seen as like the de facto co-leader of right. the comp- uh, of the group. So I wouldn't be surprised. I also wouldn't be surprised if he does go to AEW for all the same reasons that guys like you know um, whom I think of Murderhawk Monster Oh, was, Lance Archer. Yeah, like for the same reasons a guy like Lance Archer went, you know, there's a lot of positives to doing that and could he work the dual contract? Maybe I don't know if he's a big enough star to like really warrant that sort of thing, but uh, yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. You know, based on the teaser and you know the Talking Shop podcast, it does seem like New Japan he wants to go back there. But yeah, I could easily see him going to AEW. I mean, he's friends with the Young Bucks, and you know he had time with them in the Bullet Club, and I'm sure that I know they're they're not really hiring much right now. But once things get back going, I'm sure they would love to have a guy like him. I'm sure the AEW fan base, you know, that that American Bull and Club fan base would eat up a Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows return, um, you know, teaming up with the Young Bucks or feuding with the Young Bucks in some kind of capacity there. So yeah, there's a lot of options for Anderson and Gallows once things open back up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the real question is is whether you know, they would be accepted back once if they did come back, I mean... Right,
1: because, I mean, we did hear, like, during Talk of of Jericho with Galton Anderson, you know, they talked about how Gato loved Carl Anderson and said that, you know, this guy's going to be a star, so my my next top guy. So, obviously, Gato had a lot of faith and trust in Carl Anderson, and you would see that in the way he was slotted in G1 tournaments and who he would beat and the the good matches he would have with guys in in those tournaments.
0: Yeah, uh, you know... Guys like Tanahashi and you know Nakamura went out of their way to make him look really good uh, during his time there. I'm not saying he did; he wasn't good, but I mean they they tra- they gave him the Roman treatment, you know, make him look strong.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, they they definitely did that. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them come back. I think that there's a lack of depth in the tag division, obviously. Although at the same time, G.O.D. is there and they've kind of already filled that slot that they left behind. So I, I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the team is a, is, you know, interesting because it almost kind of feels like their credibility has been hurt a bit, uh, based on the way that they were slotted in WWE, but in that same respect, they were in WWE. So maybe that automatically makes them bigger stars right out the gate.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the, the price has increased. <laughs> uh, you know, they're WrestleMania 36 main eventers. So um, another question here from Reddit user PSAN91. From the wrestlers WWE recently released, who would you like to see in New Japan? I personally think Rusev would be a great fit for the never division as he could have awesome matches with the likes of Shingo and Ichi. Um, yeah.
0: I think Rusev would be a great fit for New Japan. Um, I mean, he's one of the few guys that I think, uh, if he does continue to wrestle, based on, like, you know, Rusev was, wasn't an indie guy, really. Like, Rusev is one of the few very successful, homegrown talents that WWE ever had. Why they got rid of him, I'm, I still don't know to this. I don't get it. I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I don't get it. Like, the, I don't know what the deal is. Wrestling's
1: weird. Who knows? Well, I think part of it is when when they were picking people to release, they were releasing some people who were already unhappy and asking their release. And it seems like Rusev was one of those guys who was unhappy with his slot and was trying to get out.
0: Right, but it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because every time they gave him something to do, he knocked it out of the park, got over, they didn't like it for whatever reason, and then they would... uh you know, bury him again, you know? Right. And it just, it was like a revolving door. Like this, this guy was put in failing positions like three or four times and, and, you know, turn chicken shit into t- chicken salad. Um, so I, I understand the frustration. I think that Rusev is a star. I, I do. I think, you know, he, he's a guy who literally when he popped on the scene, I thought sucked. Literally. I, I was like, guy can't wrestle. I thought he was kind of like right back. I was like, guy can't wrestle. He's not that good. Um, and I, I didn't like his gimmick and then he got over with, he got better in the ring. He got, he had good matches. He got good on the mic, you know, every single crappy storyline they gave him, he made something out of it. Like he just knocked it out of the park, like consistently. I don't, I now don't get me wrong. I don't think he's like, um, you know, Michael Elgin necessarily or anything like that, but he's a, he's a really good wrestler. We've never really seen him in other situations to see what he really even can do because, How often was he given main event slotting in all the time he was there?
1: Yeah, not often.
0: So, I mean, but he is someone who I don't see him working. I don't see him, like, doing the Cody Rhodes and going on the indie scene. I don't see him working, you know, Progress or, you know, the the UK indie scene. Like, he's not going to show up in, you know, uh, in, like, PWG and work at, like, the Globe Theater. Like, (laughs) this is a guy who's only going to work either AEW or New Japan because those are the two companies that can afford to pay him what he probably feels he's worth or entitled to. So those only two companies I can actually literally see him showing up in. And I would, I I think it would be cool. Um, You know, there's, there's not too many guys that are from WWE that kind of fit this style, but I feel like Rusev given his background could
1: definitely. Um, Another name that I would be interested in seeing in new Japan is Leo rush, the man of the hour, the 25 year old piece of gold. Um, I would love to see him in the junior division. You know, if there was a best of super juniors this year and you're bringing in an outsider and Leo still wants to wrestle, that's a guy I would love to see in a best of super juniors.
0: Yeah, you know, the thing with Leo is he's so talented. But I was thinking about this the other day, and I was thinking about, you know, his career and from what I've seen, like his time in Ring of Honor and then in WWE. It's like I can't really remember any, like, truly compelling – programs he ever had I can remember compelling matches galore but I don't remember any compelling like programs unless you really liked like the Lashley stuff which I wasn't that into right um and I've heard him he almost sounds like he's content with what he's done in the wrestling industry and I'm like well from an athletic and achievement standpoint sure you know and from professional like I, I made it to the top scene and had success there that's great but like I don't know from that like creative like blood feud like memorable storylines like you know creating a character that resonates with people to the point where like people are going to remember it like I don't think he's ever done that anywhere really um and I think that is something that he still needs to do and I think he could do in in a number of places including New Japan like I would love to see him come work here and and you know work with the talent that's here and and have long standing feuds with with different people and i think that would really benefit him and the company.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, it kind of sounds like he might be more focused on his music kind of going forward, but I, I, sh- I hope that there's still the wrestling bug in him and he still wants to you know break on the scene and do something more with his career.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting with a lot some indie guys you know, there's a lot of guys, like, from the indies who have had, like, compelling, like, you know, I think of people like ACH, Ricochet, um, I don't know, those are, like, just two names that come to mind who, like, had a lot of success in the indies, and, or even, like, a Johnny Gargano, uh, I, I would say, people like that, who, like, bounced all over. They were kind of, like, at the top of their game during like the quote unquote super indies boom, but like very few of them were ever stayed in a, in a territory long enough to like have that career defining, like promos mixed with storyline, mixed with backstage mixed with like the heat and anticipation of the big match. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and like, I think he's missing that for his career. I really do. I think that, um, he didn't get an opportunity to really like showcase that or even learn that sort of thing in um, WWE. I think in AEW he could definitely
1: – they would use him much better. Right, and that, but, might, and that might be more good for his schedule. It just works one day a week and then he can focus on his music and whatever else he wants to do for the, the rest of the time. So we'll see what happens there.
0: New Japan has been a, a great benefit to someone like say Rocky Romero with his music career. So maybe there'd be an avenue for him to do something with New Japan, but you know, long term, most great wrestlers do want to come work in Japan and and test themselves on the you know the the, the biggest stage here in Japan. And I feel like the money's there, the opportunities there. Like he he should do it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, what better way to get your name out there than to be on national TV or to be on a, a streaming service of over a hundred thousand subscribers? That's essentially free advertising for you, for your yourself and your brand. And when people Google you, they'll, they'll find your music as well. So, yeah. So, uh, moving on to the rest of the questions first from Reddit user Viking Pain. He says, "I know this is a New Japan centric podcast, and even though NJPW is my number one promotion to follow and watch, I am also a pro wrestling fan that watches and follows a ton of different promotions." But with the recent news of Linda McMahon's super PAC giving money away to Florida on the same day the WWE was considered an essential business, followed by the recent talent releases and furloughs they've they've done to keep margins high to show their investors in hard times like this, I'm finding it really hard to justify supporting the WWE now, especially with recent news that New Japan is paying all their talents and employees in full, and even smaller companies like ROH are doing the same. Any comments about WWE's recent moves? So I think yeah, we kind of touched on it a little bit. But any more thoughts on on Dada B?
0: Yeah, we've touched on it, but I'll, I'll give I'll leave you with this thought. You know, in these trying times, it's not unfathomable that it might be necessary for a company to make some cuts. You know, to to you know make a cut to the budget, make a change. You know, um, if it's necessary, like that isn't inconceivable with what's going on in the world right now. Um, but with that being said, you know, this is a, the absolute worst time to make a cut like this for individuals, knowing that like, it's becoming increasingly harder to even get on something like unemployment, the kind of strain it's putting on like the economy and the individuals and the government, everything of that nature. But then to, um, to turn around and make that cut when you're, Company is poised to have record revenue and profits. Um, it goes to show, and we'll know more on Thursday, like I mentioned. But it's this cut was not done because this company is bleeding. Although they are, there are indicators that the company is not. You know all the classic indicators of success in pro wrestling. They're not meeting those metrics, you know. They're basically a, just a TV content creator at this point, if we're being honest. But regardless, the company is about to have one of the best, like, performing years they've ever had, and this cut isn't the thing that's causing them to have that. This cut is happening because just like when they fired. Um, Eric Bischoff, or just like when they uh, fired their their presidents last quarter, they have bad numbers. They don't. Their stock isn't performing. They have a, a quarterly call, and they need to make some cuts before they have that quarterly call, so that they can tell those investors, "Oh, there were issues, but we have made a change here. Look at the actions we took, even though those actions are superfluous and not actually." dealing with the issues at hand um they're doing this just to save face and not only that um you know it's a cosmetic thing like they didn't need to do this it's their prerogative they can choose to do it but in in my book it's truly despicable like it actually is truly despicable it's like if you couldn't afford to keep these people then why did you hoard them all against your competition like a w couldn't have hired all these people anyways, they did it because they were living out of a fear-based mentality. And then once things cleared up, they, they cut them all. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, really revolting. Like, I think it's like one of the most disgusting, I mean, I I don't know. This is the same company that works for Saudi Arabia. So I don't even know why I'm like spending so much time talking about it.
1: Yeah. It's just another black eye on the company. And, yeah, just another thing, when you look back in the history of this promotion, it's going to be another one of those things where it's like, yes, they were so successful, but just look at some of their business practices and the way they did things. So, yeah, it's just going to be one of these things that just, yeah, I mentioned, it's so another black eye on this company. Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, so, a second question we already touched on with um, the Japanese promotion, the meeting with the Japanese government. Um, his last question, any cool Howard Finkel memories? So, this past week, Howard uh, Finkel, legendary ring announcer, did pass away.
0: You know, interesting thing. Um Howard Finkel didn't leave the same impression on me that he did with everybody else. And am, am, am I like alone in that?
1: <laughs> I mean he he for me, he's kind of like, as far as like a ring announcer, is kind of the voice of a lot of big title matches, and you know, his and eh, no kind of call in one fall like he's a very distinct voice um,
0: absolutely the following contest is scheduled for one fall. fall yeah I mean of course but like as far as like um as far as on screen presence I don't know when I think of like W, I think for a lot of people when they think of WWF in its prime and like what defined the company they think of like JR they think of you know, King, they think of, like, Vince and Austin and, you know, the the red and black, you know, Raw's sort of, like, setup up for everything. But I really don't. For me, I think of, like, primetime wrestling. I think of, like, wrestling in the 90s. I think of, like, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, Vince, Jesse Ventura, uh, that whole cast of crew, Mean Gene Okerlund, and I, th- I think of um, <laughs> Howard Finkel. Uh, I think the one lasting memory really of howard that kind of sticks out in my mind is when he went to hair club for men in 1994 at wrestlemania because i had i had had wrestlemania 10 uh on vhs and like i watched it all the time growing up Hmm. and like he showed up at wrestlemania 10 and he had a full head of hair and i was like what and they're like you went to hair club for men it was a toupee i guess and then uh, Harvey Whippleman came out and like talked shit, and then they got into a few They ended up having a uh, tuxedo match on um, like one of the early Monday Night Wars and like or Monday Night Raws in like 1993, 94. And uh, I kind of I do remember. I think that that's the most memorable um, tuxedo match that I can remember in, in my lifetime. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean the the thing with Howard Finkel is like he's the probably the greatest ring announcer in wrestling history.
1: Yeah, as far as a recent memory, I I always remember um, when he, CM Punk brought him in to be his personal ring announcer with the Alberto Del Rio feud, because obviously Alberto had uh, Ricardo Rodriguez as his personal ring announcer, and Punk brought in uh, Howard Finkel for uh, the big match, I believe it was Survivor Series of that year.
0: See, I was not watching during... I don't think I was paying attention to that when that was happening, Mm. so so I kind of missed that whole thing. Uh, I've heard a lot of people mention that though, but, um, the thing I will say about Howard is I've, I've seen him in shoot interviews over the years. I've, uh, we've seen him, um, at wrestling, like wrestle cons and different fan events like, and he's just like the nicest guy, just like a good heart. Like everybody who ever talked about Howard Finkel had nothing but good things to say about him. And, um, someone who is truly, truly passionate about, uh, you know, pro wrestling, I, I do remember, okay, I will say this, like, one of the most iconic things is, like, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, when they had wrestling in Madison Square Garden, they didn't have the WWF, uh, microphones, instead, they had the MSG microphone, which was, like, suspended in the air, and it would come down in the middle, yeah, and I always, and I always remember, like, uh, you know, Howard Finkel, like, just being that guy in the center, like, doing the ring announcing on all those MSG shows from the 80s that, that I like. I think he – did he sing um, the national anthem on WrestleMania one. Did he? Either him or Gene Okerlund did. I, I want to say it was Howard Finkel. Uh,
1: I don't remember that. Maybe he did. But, but yeah,
0: it, it, it's, it's sad, man. It's sad. You know, um, life is short.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. R.I.P. Fink, you will be missed. Uh, Moving on to a question from Kyle Martin from the Wrestling Squared Circle has a few questions here. First, he says, in your opinion, respectively, do you think Chris Benoit has any sort of legacy or influence in New Japan history? Uh, To understand what I'm saying, I was introduced to New Japan as a kid from the Benoit Hard Knocks DVD, and I thought those matches were some of his greatest.
0: Yeah, I mean... um When you talk about the legacy, I I think in recent years, for modern fans, when people are introduced to the 90s, everyone is talking about the Musketeers now. So you hear people talk about Muto, Chono Hashimoto, Hase, Sasaki, everything like that. But growing up, um, because this stuff was hard to find, the most circulated videos that were out there, and the thing that meltzer and everyone talked about was the junior division and at the top of that division as far as like influential workers was Chris Benoit uh Pegasus kid you know i mean he had a long standing in the company I'm, i think he was there from like 19 around i want to i'm just estimating but i think from like 90 to 96 so about 6 years and i mean he wrestled all the names all the top guys in the company and had blow away matches some of his best work was in Japan um so and then not only that but like obviously in the states as well as over in Japan how many workers wrestle like him and have you know emulated his style so of course i think he's extremely influential when it comes to his legacy in
1: Japan Definitely and you know we've been covering a lot of his big matches in, in the junior division in the final countdown during our best of the super Junior series, and you can just see by the people he's beating in these tournaments and wing tournaments back to back, how much of a star he was in that junior division and just how pushed he was there. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, definitely a lasting influence as far as style wise in New Japan and wrestling all around. Um, unfortunately, you know, unfortunate instances, instances kind of kind of shadow, you know, Benoit's contributions to the business. But if you you watch guys who studied him, you can see his style all over the wrestling business today
0: awesome uh next question could you guys tell me when the crown version of the iwgp world title was introduced as well as the current design please and as well for the uh i was watching tna when kurt angle was the iwgp champion so i'm having trouble distinguishing the timelines i read that new japan created a new world title to replace the old one held hostage in the igf would that be the third belt jeremy
1: so I know you've explained this <laughs> in the past before with um, kind of how the titles got separated with during that time period. And essentially it was Brock who kind of held the belt hostage. And didn't Brock take it to another promotion?
0: Yeah. Actually, I was just throwing it to you to be a jerk and be funny. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually you're correct. <laughs> so basically there there have been essentially um, four IWGP title designs. Um, the first one was a round design, um, famously worn by like Hulk Hogan and Inoki and Fujinami, guys like that. Uh, it's actually my favorite title design they've ever had. Um, the second, more, um, you know, the second one that's also very well known is what they call the crown design. It was a smaller belt and it looked sort of like a crown. And I, I don't know the exact date, but it definitely was introduced in the early to mid-90s. Uh, I think they gave it to Hashimoto. And lots of people wore that belt, but it was most closely associated with him because he had numerous, you know, like almost multi-year title reigns during that time frame. Um, so like him and Muta uh, were like the two guys that held that belt a lot. And then in the early 2000s, they introduced a third design, which if you're uh, familiar with uh, the, the belt that Kurt Angle wore on TNA, that's the third IWGP title belt design. And it's the one that Brock Lesnar won in 2003. And when he left the company and held the title hostage and he went to go work for Ino- Inoki Genome Federation – Um, they actually had to reintroduce the second, uh, belt, the crown belt, uh, in the meantime, because they did not have a new design. And then what ended up happening was ultimately Brock agreed to drop the belt to Angle. Angle was under contract to TNA. TNA had a working relationship with new Japan. So he brought the belt back to new Japan and dropped it to, uh, to Nakamura during one of the I think Wrestle Kingdom I want to say two but it might be three one of one of those and um they eventually came out with the design we have today which little known fact the design that we have today encompasses the design of all three titles so it has influences of the crown influences of the third belt because the third belt was, like, multi-layered, and then there's a circle inside of this which represents the original title.
1: Nice. Yeah. So, uh, his next question, he says, I really like your opinion on this because I've only been a fan since late 2003. Who was either the most successful Japanese wrestler in American history or the most famous in historical terms?
0: Oh, man. Um, that's a tough question. Um... Liger's up there. Um, Muto is definitely up there.
1: Yeah, those would probably be... We're talking like American history based off of their run to WCW and just kind of the influence they just had worldwide. And those are probably two of the most recognizable guys to casual fans.
0: I I would say there's a good argument for Muto just because of how long he worked in the States. Um, Not only in the NWA, but also WCW and also in the various territories. And if you're talking about, you know, North America, he also had work in like Calgary and in Texas and things of that nature. Um, I don't know. I mean, if, if we're talking about W, obviously you have to talk about WWE. I think like Mr. Fuji is a name that, that had a lot of success. Masa Saito had a lot of success in, in the States. What about um, uh, that, I was gonna say, is another one. Tajiri's, uh you know, a, a big name for a lot of like fans of the Attitude Era and like the uh, Ruthless Aggression Era. Um, anyone else that you can think of that like sticks out? Obviously Nakamura in modern times and uh, yeah. Asuka.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if anybody else kind of pops up. Uh, yeah, I, think, I mean, uh, Ultimo Dragon, maybe.
0: Oh, yep, Ultimo Dragon in WCW. I mean, WCW had a, a lengthy working relationship with New Japan. So, I mean, Chono had a lot of success there. Tenzan had success there. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I think Muto is the right answer as far as, like, um, guys that had long-term success. I think, I think it has to be the great Muta.
1: Yeah. And then as far as famous overall historical terms, would you say Inoki?
0: Um, The most famous Japanese wrestler in historical terms?
1: Yeah. No,
0: no, it's Ricky Dozen by far. Ricky Dozen is one of the three most famous wrestlers that have ever lived, ever in history. Ricky Dozen was doing like 83.0 like 83. 0 television ratings for some of his big matches. Like he had he, – there are more people in Japan watching – some of Ricky Dozen's big matches, like the ones against like Luthez, the one against the, uh, um, him and, um, him and, um, uh, Kimura against I want, the Sharp Brothers, um, him and the Destroyer, uh, him and Freddie Blassie, those all did around 40, 50, 60 million, like, the most famous match in, in just to put it in, in terms, in North America the most watched and viewed wrestling match in history is Hulk Hogan against Andre the Giant in 1988 uh, on the main event. And that did it around 30 million. Um, Ricky Dozen had like four or five matches in Japan years before that that like eclipsed that. They're like double the viewership. He, he's the great one of the greatest national heroes in terms of like um, impact. I mean, the only person I can really – say in america that is a sports figure that maybe has the same kind of like recognition and and importance is like maybe muhammad ali Mm. um you know maybe not worldwide but in japan as far as a cultural icon ricky dozen's by far the most famous japanese wrestler and there's there are other famous japanese wrestlers but there's not a close second it's ricky dozen and there's no one else even close to him
1: Nice. His uh, his next question: Do either of you know what led to the formations of Chaos and Suzuki Gun? Um, so I know a Suzuki Gun <laughs> one, so I know that you know. Suzuki-gun- you know what?
0: I would say this is my, this would be my answer. There are two really really great videos on this subject that will cover it much more in depth than we probably could. Um, for what's it called the recount? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They have the they have the history of Suzuki Goon. And the history of chaos, and there's a lot of moving parts to both of those stories. I would literally just say go check out the recount on NJPW, uh, you know, or on their.
1: uh, It's on on their their YouTube. YouTube. It's also on NJPW World, but yeah, they have a lot of different like breakdowns, like five, six videos in those series, kind of explaining the, the kind of shifts in both of those groups and how they were formed. Yeah. Um, and his last question, he says, "This correlates to my next question. What was the last faction in New Japan to disband, and why?" Would it be a Great Bash heel?
0: It's one of them. Um, although technically, it still exists.
1: <laughs> right, but they don't. But like. The announcers really – like, nobody really acknowledges that, like, besides, like, Makabe and Hanma. Like, the, the commentators don't really call them Great Heel that much, and, like, it's never on the website or a result or anywhere.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, like, of what the last faction was. I mean, yeah, Great Heel and Rise were the two that gave, um, gave way to Chaos – Um, Kojima Goon gave rise to Suzuki (sighs) Goon. You know, I don't, I really don't know the answer. That's a great question. Maybe, uh, someone listening can tell us what the last, I feel like there's gotta be some obvious answer that we're overlooking right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Great Bass Eagle's the only one that's like popping in my head right now.
0: Yeah, if, if someone's listening and they know what the last faction to disband in, in New Japan was, uh, hit us up. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, – I, very rarely do we not have an answer for one of these questions. It's a great question.
1: Uh, next question from Reddit user it's Chunky: Do you think NJPW will land a TV deal or have a new video game anytime soon?
0: Well, they did just land a TV deal in Japan, which is great.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's probably talking about a U.S. TV deal.
0: Uh, well, I mean, the rumors were that they were in talks with Vice.
1: I don't. Am I, are we supposed to say that or no? Yeah, I mean, uh, Dave Meltzer talked about it on there. Uh, okay,
0: I didn't know he said that. Yeah, so that was that was the the talk was that they were having discussions with them. I know they've had there, you know, was interest from New Japan working with other uh, TV companies, but um, I don't know. Everything everything has changed, obviously, with what's going on with COVID-19.
1: Yeah, it's very hard right now to make deals and finalize stuff and pitch stuff. So I'm sure if they were in the process, I'm sure a lot of that stuff is being kind of halted right now. And they, they wouldn't really have – if they're trying to put new content, they really don't have new content to give to a, a TV company right now to put out. So I'm sure far once far, things kind of pick back up, they might start getting back into talks with some companies.
0: As far as video games – God, I would love a new Japan video game. I mean, there's a whole plethora of fantastic Japanese wrestling video games out there that most fans and people just don't haven't really been exposed to or even know about. Uh, if you want some access to some of those um, emulators and some ROMs, hit up hit up my buddy uh, Rich Latta. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can uh, expose you guys. But I mean, right now. I mean, Fire Pro Wrestling is pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, and they have yeah. in the, the latest version has the new Japan expansion or, expansion or like they were like a partnership where they brought in uh, they had an official design with New Japan wrestlers in the game.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you know, um, it's been a long time since like we've had like a King of Coliseum or a uh, you know Tokan Resident or one of those famous like video games, and it would be really cool. If they, like, had something like that again, I would love it. But for the time being, I mean, I haven't heard anything about it,
1: you know? Yeah, that's one of those things that, yeah, I haven't heard not even the slightest of rumors of them working on a new video game. So, yeah, hopefully that'll be down the line. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Highest flow Just hope you guys are safe and doing good. For the question, where would you rate Murakami on the Bret Hart scale. Been watching his stuff in New Japan and BML, and it's shocking how good he is, yet he isn't remembered as much. Even though that Konami cage match with Murakami and Tanahashi was a mess, the two of them did real good. All right, Josh, so this, <laughs> this this one's on you. Murakami's uh, Bret Hart score.
0: <laughs> yeah, so as far as look, uh, <laughs> I don't know. This is like one of the hardest like grades I've ever given. I don't know. Um Murakami's look, um, well, he doesn't have a great body, but he, he's scary as hell and like super imposing. He looks like an anime character, actually. Um, I would go like seven and a half on the look. And then uh, what's the next one? Mike. You know, I, I, I've never really listened to him on the mic, to be honest with you. I mean, that's it's a different era. It's like the early 2000s. I think I've heard him say some stuff, but I, I couldn't even a- accurately grade that. Um, I'll just give him a, a seven just to be fair I don't know
1: okay and then work
0: that's weird uh some people would be like some people would be like a four or a five and some people would give him like a 10 like it it's he, Murakami's all over the board Ah, uh, and he's the thing about Murakami is like one of those violent guys you've ever seen but he's super inconsistent like it kind of depends his style is so weird like it depends on who he's wrestling and what kind of mood he's in, like whether he wants to work hard or whether he doesn't, and whether he's with someone talented enough to like lay a match out for him in a compelling way, like Nagata. Um, I, I don't know. I, I would st- just because he's so violent and crazy, I'd still go like seven and a half.
1: Okay. And then it factor.
0: Uh, it factor is like eight and a half um there's something really like intangible about Murakami he's dangerous like watching Murakami is not it's it's there's not too many guys that like kind of give you that sense of like oh this is real (laughs) (laughs) like I don't I want to say he's like the Japanese new Jack but in a way it kind of feels that way a little (laughs) bit like like this feels different
1: (laughs) Uh, so I
0: don't know that's a weird question
1: Next question from Ready User Rambone Slam Pig. If you could book any current NJPW star against the top stars of the past in their prime, what would your top matches be?
0: I can think of one right off the top of my head and immediately. That'd be super easy. Hmm. Uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Kenta Kobashi.
1: Mm. That would be. The- yeah. <laughs> that would be incredible. that'd be like
0: the two greatest of their eras going at it and it'll never happen and yeah, I, I think that would be incredible.
1: Yeah, so um for me I've really been falling in love with uh Koji Kanemoto while doing our Best of Sleeper Junior watching and project and I would like to see uh Koji Kanemoto against Shingo.
0: Oh wow <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, uh, I just feel like a, Koji just has this like this mean streak, and he has a lot of hard strikes. He has an amateur wrestling background. He can get real nasty, and I think him and Shingo would have a great mix of this like hard style, like strong style match, and then Kanemoto doing a you know the springboards and diving and kind of mixing it up. I think it'd be a really fun match.
0: I'd have to check, but I'm not convinced that that's never happened before. Hmm. I'm pretty sure there's a good given given like. Uh, both of their s- status on the uh, independent scene over the past few years, and I'm pretty sure Koji has worked some matches in um, Dragon Gate. Like I, I don't. Yeah, yeah. He 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 worked for uh he worked for them just last year, I think. Um, let me see. I'm gonna take a look right now and see if he has ever worked with Shingo Tsukagi. Never, huh? Mm. Uh, I've never met. Oh, okay. Um, I'll tell you another one of mine. So I always hear people talking about how, you know, when they talk about Tanahashi, they want to see him against Cena because they're like the two faces of the companies around the same era. I also see people always talk about how they want to see him wrestle Shawn Michaels because their styles are, are so similar. But bump that. That's not the match I want. If I could ever book a, a legend of the past to wrestle Tanahashi easily it would be Bret Hart. Mm. I think that those two guys would like literally tear the house down.
1: Dude, that would be an incredible matchup. I think
0: like they're probably in my opinion two of the greatest storyteller storytelling wrestlers that have ever lived and I just can't imagine that
1: couldn't be good. Right. Yeah. That would be an incredible match. Both in their primes. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, what are, What are some other matches that you could think of that you'd like?
1: Uh, trying to think here. So um, I think Masawa versus Okada. Uh,
0: yeah, that's a given.
1: Yeah, you know, two of those the top guys there in their their eras. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I I think Masawa. Um, oh, I know he worked some. T- oh yeah. I was gonna say I, I was trying to remember. He worked against somebody in New Japan in a tag match, but I think it was Liger. I think the only time Mizawa and Liger were in a match together was in a tag match at like in a Tokyo Dome show at one point in like o three o four ish. Mm. Um, you know, one one match I I've, I've always wanted, and it could st- I guess it could hypothetically still happen. it probably never will, but like I want a two thousand and five Samoa Joe to take on. A twenty like 2018, twenty eighteen, twenty nine yeah, like a twenty eighteen Tomohiro
1: Ishii. That would be incredible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah. I mean those those are like three I can think of off the top of my head. Um can you give us a good one for Will?
1: Uh Will Ospreay versus Tiger Mask one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sayama. That'd yeah. be pretty crazy.
1: So yeah. Good question there, Ramboons. Uh, so next from our user Grunty Dodds, what was Liger's best look?
0: Um, I mean CTU Liger's probably his best look.
1: That's exactly what I was gonna say that that all black with like the with the gold on there. It's fucking hard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I you know what I really 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 like that uh, the attire he wore when he uh, challenged for the J Crown for the first time the all gold. Mm. The all gold is like pretty awesome.
1: There's um, a blue one that I that I've seen in the uh, the NJPW collection card game that I think is pretty cool. I'm not sure when exactly it's from, but that that looks pretty cool.
0: I I'm pretty sure if my uh, if I'm recalling this correctly, that's probably from one of the t- early Tokyo domes. Um, I know he had a green look that he wore that people just hate, but I think is kind of cool because it reminds me of the Green Ranger.
1: Yeah, dude, I love the Green Ranger growing up.
0: <laughs>
1: so, yeah. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Just a Little Bear 01. Do either of you have any recommendations of a undercredited or underloved star of NJPW's past who has matches worth checking out on NJPW World? Hope you're staying safe.
0: Um well, that's there's probably a lot of people I would say if I had to name one person right off the bat who I think is underloved and um, underappreciated, um, probably Fujiwara. Okay. Um, that would be like, yeah, I, I I would have to say Fujiwara. Like, um, I always forget his first name. Toshihiro? No, Toshiaki. Yeah, uh, Fujiwara, Yoshiaki, I don't know, I'm, I had a moment, sorry. <laughs> so, um, you know, the deal is, in my opinion, I think, like, Yoshiaki Fujiwara is the, the best New Japan worker of the 80s, like, by far, um, and not only do I think he's the best, but I think he's extremely underrated and undervalued when it comes to history, you know, a, a lot of people talk about like Ricky Choshu and they talk about like Fujinami, but Fujiwara kind of gets left out because he didn't have the same kind of like, I don't know. He kind of reminds me in a way like Fujiwara sort of like, like Arne Anderson. Like he looked old even when he was young,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, um, Carl Gotch said this about Fujiwara. He said like his two best, uh, trainees that he ever had were Sayama and Fujiwara. He said Fujiwara is like, the best performing student that he ever had, like ever. And, um, you know, Fujiwara is the guy that gave rise to Minoru Suzuki and Masakatsu Funaki and the guys that he trained, um, freaking Ken Shamrock and all those guys that started Pancrase. But yeah, Fujiwara, his, he has some of the best matches of the eighties of any performer in Japan. And, he, he just doesn't get, get a lot of love. I don't know why.
1: Yeah. And, you know, for me, what I what I thought about with this question is, you know, there's a lot of newer New Japan fans and always New, New Japan's kind of jumping in. And I know a lot of guys kind of watch New Japan dads and don't really understand just how great they were. So I think if you are a newer fan and you started watching New Japan in the last couple of years, I think it would really be good to, like, go back and watch – you know, Satoshi Kojima and Yuchi Nagata and uh, oh, God. and Tenzon in yep. their primes and their IWGB title matches and a lot of their stuff. You know, right now in the Together Project, they're uploading a lot of their stuff in that Together Project. They just uploaded um, Kojima and uh, Nakamura, which is on my list to watch. So uh, I think a lot from those guys is, you should go back and check out.
0: Yeah, you know, th- they were uploading so much, like, quote unquote together content before with all the talk shows and stuff. I didn't really get most of that never got translated. So I, it didn't make sense for me to even follow a lot of it, but now they're just like uploading stuff to the, uh, freaking, um, (laughs) to the, what's it called? Like to the archives stuff that should have been there, but just wasn't. And I'm fine with that. Like, you know, it, it's unfortunate it takes a pandemic for something like that to happen but like at least we're getting access to some of these famous matches that like should have been there all along and that's kind of cool yeah but you hit the nail right on the head uh, the the third generation dads are sort of like the forgotten class and I mean those guys absolutely absolutely I like 100% agree like yeah they're they're not really appreciated for how great they were especially like in my opinion. And I know you're a Kojima guy, but Nagata is the best all-around performer out of all those guys in his prime. And he doesn't get enough credit for for a lot of reasons.
1: Yeah. Next question here from the Discord. EMJ does PR. He, has, he says, here's my question. Have you guys seen tai Chi's at-home training routine on his YouTube? I'm a fan.
0: <laughs> I feel like maybe this is a troll. I haven't checked it out. Is it real?
1: I don't know. I have I have not seen it yet either. Uh, okay. So yeah, I'm gonna I feel
0: like we're gonna go look at it. It's gonna be something weird and sexual. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, then his other question: He says, "If you had a dr- if you had to drink a sixty ounce of Satori whiskey with three current and J.P.W. wrestlers, who would they be?"
0: Oh man, who do I want to chill with? Um, I don't know who. Uh, like. Okay, I guess I'll just name like some, some people I, I would like to hang out with that. I feel like um, probably bull Club. Like probably like Tama. Mm. Like like Tam, Tama's like like entertainment. He'll, he'll like keep things hype. Uh, Fale. <laughs> <laughs> In case things go south. Like, you know, he's the muscle. And then like, I don't know, Ishimori. Like mm. maybe those three guys. I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, for me, so I kind of picked, like, a, a little bit of a mix of guys. So, first of all, I'm like, well, if I'm drinking Satori whiskey, you, you got to have, um, what's his Kanemaru. Kanemaru, Yeah, there with you. He's, he's going to be the supplier. Um, and then I'm thinking, Ben Juice. We always kind of hear the stories of them, like, nobody uh, can out-drink those so guys. They're so cool. Why and, didn't yeah. I think of that? <laughs> and I yeah, you know we've, we've, talk, we've chilled with Juice after shows before and talked to him, and he seems like a cool dude. And so, yeah. Dude.
0: I'm changing my... I want to chill with Roppongi 3K. Rocky, show it, yo. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that's a great great question. Uh, Jack Groom asked us, if this year's best Super Junior isn't able to proceed as scheduled and New Japan are only left with a half a year's worth of show dates, would you be in favor of canceling a lesser tour like World Tag League and putting the Junior Tournament in its place?
1: Yeah, I mean... It's all going to come down to Business decisions and just You know availabilities of buildings Will Will it make sense to do the best of super juniors In some of the smaller buildings That they're running the world tag league in Maybe maybe not I mean personally Would I rather see a best of super juniors Over a world tag league Absolutely Uh, But I think it just comes down to Dates and building Availability
0: all right, let me pitch this to you. This is my idea. This is what they need to do G1 climax with the junior tag league on the undercard. And then later in the year, junior, uh, the uh, best of super juniors with the world tag league on the undercard.
1: That sounds lit. <laughs> that sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be epic. Uh,
0: New Japan Office, Gato, if you guys are listening, book it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you definitely draw some houses with that.
0: Oh man, uh, Nutter 102 said, I've only seen a few heel Yano matches. How good was he as a bad guy? Which faction was he in? Um, yeah, so Yano was a heel as part of Chaos. And before that, he was a heel as part of GBH.
1: Yeah, and he was, like, a, you know, a deathmatch wrestler. Had a lot of, like, chain matches. Like, him and Makabe would always use change. And, yeah, I mean, I've only seen kind of clips. I haven't, I know they uploaded some matches of his from that time period. I haven't watched him yet. But, yeah, from what I've seen, he was very aggressive, very violent. There was juice in his matches. Uh, so, yeah, it was very interesting.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, like, um, the whole, like, Toro, yeah, no, like that whole thing came from a uh, when TNA was in partnership with New Japan and they were uh, co-headlining Wrestle Kingdoms together. Um, they had a match between RVD and Yano, and Yano was still in his like top heel persona at the time. And when he when he stole the RVD, Rob Van Dam, the Yano, that was like the genesis of him becoming goofy, and it was like a slow transition. Prior to that match, you never saw like comedy out of this guy.
1: Mm, he's probably like, "This is the way," and it's time for me to save my body. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, uh, next question here from Twitter follower at Yushirogi. It says, fight to the death. The weapons are a bat and a six-inch knife. You pick the weapon, your opponent gets the other. What do you choose?
0: Hmm. That's a great question. Um. I think I'd take the knife.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a hard one. I guess it just depends on, like, who I'm fighting.
0: I mean, the thing is, is like, um... The bat you can do a lot of damage, obviously, and you can you can end somebody with the bat, and you can really kick their ass. But, you know, um,
1: I mean, if you're faster, than knife you can get in some quick kind of shank action there. For,
0: I mean, yeah, like I just think like I I know how to stay low. I know how to like double leg somebody or like single leg or you know go for an ankle pick or whatever, and like I don't even have to take them down. I just have to get close enough to nullify the bat. Right. Which as long as I know that as long as I know they have the bat, I can fuck somebody up with a knife like no, no doubt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I don't want to be the one with the bat who's who's having to like knock it out of the park because you miss one time and you're fucked. Yeah,
1: it's over. Like, <laughs> yeah, It's game time. I
0: yeah. mean, it's not bad. It's not bad to have a bat, a bat or a knife, but I feel like I could. Re- I mean, like I'd, I'd kill somebody if I had the knife.
1: Right. You're gonna just, You know, slip the throat, just shank them in the ribs. I just bet like, <laughs> "I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding." <laughs> <laughs> that's a
0: really weird question, Ishirogi. <laughs> I feel like that's a question that like someone just asked, and like they're they're not even listening to the show. Like that's for everyone else just to kind of know like what our
1: morbid minds think at this point. <laughs> uh, last question here from Reddit user Degraw69. I saw. Oh, I don't
0: it. even have that on the rundown. When did that come in?
1: This came in forty nine minutes ago. Right. Right before we actually started recording here So he got this question in just in time uh, uh, He says I saw a match recently with CTU participants I would like some match Recommendations to get a history of the Faction
0: Yeah maybe Maybe next week uh, CTU Like that that whole Era of New Japan Like the, the, Them's be the dark days Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we'll I'll, I'll work on something for you I don't have anything off the top of my head to be honest
1: Yeah so we'll, we'll get some recommendations and maybe that could be and I'm, and I'm wondering
0: what he wants Like, Does he just want like
1: Yeah like
0: Match recommendations I mean like CTU to my understanding was pretty much all about Liger But like whatever uh, I'll, I'll do some research for you
1: Alright well There's only one thing left It is time for All right, it's time for the final countdown week. So to kind of recap So last week we Covered Top of the Super Juniors 1988 uh, Koshinaka versus Hiroshi Hase 1991 Top of the Super Junior With Nori Hoganaga and Jushin Thunder Liger 92 Top of the Super Junior With El Samurai versus Jushin Thunder Liger 93 Top of the Super Junior With Pegasus Kid aka Crispin Wall versus El Samurai And then we did the first best of Super Junior From 1994 Jushin Thunder Liger versus Super Delphin
0: Yes Which um, I I loved the first episode And I can't wait to get into the second episode
1: Yeah and so I think we're both kind of in agreement That from the crop last week The Samurai Liger match Was the best match we talked about last week
0: Yeah by far It it was really really That's a special match Um, And Before we continue, for those of you listening, so we're going to be talking about the years 1995 through 1998. We were supposed to be talking about the year all the way through to 1999. We cannot find footage for the 1999 Best of Super Juniors.
1: And we've looked everywhere. We've hit up all the Puro Archive experts, um, all the Google Drives, all the chat rooms, message boards. Uh, all the people you would think about, we've been hitting up and trying to get footage. And shout out to the people who have hit us back and have been helping us uh, get footage. Uh, you know, Chris Samsa, Dylan Fox, uh, Damon McDonald from Super J um uh, A lot of guys have been helping us out and getting footage.
0: Yeah, we uh, there have been a lot of people who have kind of gone out of their way to help us on this project, uh, which has been really, really great. But um, we can't find the year. So what years do we need? We need 1999, 2005,
1: and 2008? Yeah, I think that's all that's left, I believe, yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, if you guys have the years 1999, or if you know of a way to find access to the best, of super, best Super Junior Finals matches from 1999, 2005, or 2008, please hit us up. What we plan to do at this point going forward, if come next week we do not have access to the 1999 match, we will discuss it without having seen it, we will not review it, but we'll discuss what happened and the ramifications, and then we will move on. If at some point in the future we gain access to those matches after this project's over, we'll review them. But uh, for the time being, unless uh, – it, it's going to fall on you guys. If you're listening, please, whatever you can. We don't really ever ask that much from you guys anyways, but like, if you are listening, please, whatever you can do, help us to find this footage because we don't, we do not want to leave this project incomplete. We do plan – Once this project is over to compile all the uh, final countdown sections into one master episode with timestamps so that it can be kind of like just documented as a resource. And we would love to have all 30 or 31 matches on the on the profile. But, you know, um, we're, we're asking you guys for your help at this point.
1: Yeah, so if you have those footage, please go out and reach out to us. You can hit us up, Reddit, Twitter, email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. So our first tournament that we're looking at this week is uh, Best of the Super Juniors 1995. And so this is the second tournament under the Best of the Super Junior name. Um, And this year it's a a 10-man tournament. It's being held from June 23rd to July 13th. Uh, this year's participants, we had Wild Pegasus, Shinjiro Otani, Black Tiger 2, which was Eddie Guerrero, Koji Kenamoto, Dean Malenko, Grand Hamada, Flying Brian Pillman, El Samurai, Alex Wright, Das Wonder Kid, and Norio Hogan Naga. Um, and so the interesting thing here with these participants, you know, Honaga's a guy that we saw from the first tournament, was in that kind of jobber role and then the next year. Elevator was in the finals Won the thing Won the title um, Then you kind of Fast forward to this year Again he's on the bottom But he had four points Because he was He got injured During the tournament And so everybody else Got forfeits From the matches That they were supposed To face against Onaga So he didn't return To jobber status He just got hurt there mm. And so then they took us to the, the semifinals. Ended up being Wild Pegasus Crispin Wall Versus Black Tiger Eddie Guerrero And then Chinjiro Otani Versus Koji Kanamoto and we had uh, Otani defeating Kanemoto, and then uh, Wild Pegasus defeating Black Tiger, which takes us to our final match, July 13, 1995, in Sapporo, in the Nakajima Sports Center, Wild Pegasus versus Shinjiro Otani. Uh, Josh, give us some info on Shinjiro Otani.
0: Yeah, so um, Shinjiro Otani would ultimately go on to be one of the most legendary uh, you know uh junior heavyweight competitors of new, in all of new japan history you know he is a contemporary of guys like Koji Kanemoto and uh TakaIwa um he's sort of like from that class of performers but he made his um he trained under Animal Hamaguchi and made his debut in New Japan Pro Wrestling in just 1992 so we're talking about you know 3 years into his career he is you know um, in the finals of the best super juniors tournament. So at this point he's, he's won no titles. Um, and he had for the first two years of his, um, career been pretty much a up and coming young lion essentially. But by the time 1995 came around, we entered into the feud with the UWFI and he was kind of utilized as one of the, uh, one of, one of the like defenders against the UW FI. So, you know, um, that was something that kind of helped catapult his career and get him to a place where he was sort of a contender for the IWGP junior title within that year. So, uh, him facing um, Wild Pegasus in the finals of this tournament is a, just another part of that story, but also a big sign of things to come for him because up to this point, he hadn't won, you know any titles or anything of that nature. He would go on to hold the J crown. He would also go on to be the inaugural first ever WCW cruiserweight champion who he actually won that title a year later in a, in the, a more famous match between Chris Benoit and Otani in the finals of a tournament for that, uh, multiple time IWGP junior tag team and, Junior heavyweight champion And most people would probably know him Most recently as the President and competitor in
1: 0-1 Nice and, uh, So we kind of already talked about Wa Pegasus last week And you know at this point Crispin Wall, he's been in Japan for a little bit now And kind of really making a name for himself uh, In this in New Japan Junior Division Finds himself in the finals once again here With Shinjiro Otani So uh, what do you think about this match?
0: Well, before we talk about that, a couple things I just want to touch base on. So keep in mind with Benoit, we did talk about him, but real quick, he not only is coming off of the 1993 top of the Super Juniors win, but then he went on to win the the first ever Super J Cup in 1994 going into this match. So it's like he's had two big tournament wins back-to-back heading into this match. So um, not only that, I think he's working for – wcw at this point like he's already no he he hasn't made it there because he he starts working there in late 95 but you know um ben already like very very well established very well known when it comes to his placement within the standings in new japan and yeah the fact that it's uh otani against wild pegasus it's kind of a mismatch um one other thing, I don't know if you noticed this. They are not headlining this card. I think this is one of the first ever Super Juniors where the the uh, Super Junior tournament finals is in the middle of the card. That the headliner for this show was uh, Road Warrior Animal against uh, Muto
1: Yeah, I noticed that because yeah, because on the the way we watched this on the the drive that we got, it had the full show, and so yeah, that main event was yeah, I think it wasn't he like Warrior Hawk or something like that. His New Japan name was. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because he was part of the Hell Warriors. Him and um, um, uh, Warrior, Power Warrior, which was uh, Kenzuki Sasaki.
1: Yeah.
0: They were the the Hellraisers.
1: So, yeah, so Junior's not main eventing here, and obviously it's not Liger, and, you know, they're kind of building up Wild Pegasus right now and, and Otani, so I guess, you know, these guys weren't at that level to where they felt that they could main event with these guys
0: yeah so this match is interesting um i will say this it didn't do it for me um it it really didn't it's not a bad match by any means it's an interesting match in fact when i was watching it i kind of thought that you might with you being an amateur i don't know because you're you're also a spot monkey mark Uh,
1: (laughs) i have an addiction
0: (laughs) yeah you you have an addiction but then also there's times where you really mark out for um you know, the the actual, like, catch-as-catch catch sort of thing. And this was a very, like, ground-oriented, like, wrestling match, as far as I could tell. Like, I would say out of all the matches we've seen so far, this this had the most, like, um actual mat-based wrestling of any junior finals so far.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, this definitely was not, like, the uh, junior-style match. There was not a ton of... High spots or diving and stuff like that Like you mentioned, definitely a more ground base A lot of, you know, holds and suplexes and stuff like that uh, and, and overall, I, I thought it was fine Overall, I went uh, 3.5 for my rating um, The story of this match here It was pretty much almost like a one, ups, one upsmanship Like Otani would do something And then Benoit would do it later in, in the match And they would kind of go back and forth with these different moves That they were essentially just trying to, to one-up each other throughout this match
0: what it felt to me like um, – and it's kind of interesting because I didn't know the full background on Otani at the time. So I, di- I didn't go in the – to me, when I think of Otani, I think of him uh, in that fantastic match in December of this year at Starcade with uh, Guerrero. So I already knew he could go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was I was like, oh, man, like Benoit and Otani. I've also seen the match from 96, so I was like, this is probably going to be really good. Uh, it didn't le- live up to my expectations, but when I was watching it, I was like – does it kind of feel like, like uh, Ben, like this is like a really long, extended Young Lion match? Yeah, that's what it came off to me. Like, like um, Otani got a lot of hope spots where he would do like, you know, big move, dive over the top rope, you know, senton, you know, drop kick, things like that. But then Benoit was like putting this guy in like figure fours and. You know, camel clutches and lion. He put him in a freaking lion tamer at <laughs> yeah, one point. Yeah, that was awesome. And um, you know, Otani would like fight out of this stuff and like go for a desperation German. And like he was fighting very desperate the whole time. And like he he would, he was hitting. Like he needed to use the ring, like the the space that was given him to like use his offense. Whereas like, uh, you know. Wild Pegasus was kind of like trying to keep him grounded and keep him from doing all the springboard, you know, stuff, and and he, he was trying to submit him almost the entire match, which was it was cool. It just wasn't super exciting. It wasn't bad by any means, but um, it, I mean, it was hard hitting. It was solid, like, but ultimately, it just felt like a really long, extended Young Lion match.
1: Yeah, and I'm wondering too if this. I wonder how, because I know this is a single block tournament So they, they did wrestle earlier in the tournament I'm wondering how this match played out Based on that first match like I'm wondering if it was the same kind of structure If Otani had more control during that match up here And Benoit learned from that match to this match But I believe Benoit beat him in earlier in the tournament as well uh, I can find out I think I saw that when I was uh, looking at cage match And getting stuff together for this, for this tournament
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, the, the, the match was really – like I said, it was really solid. But ultimately, uh, you know, when it's coming down, it does pick up – I guess what threw me off was this. It really starts picking up big time. It goes from being like a decent match to like the last four minutes are fantastic. And when, once it starts hitting that next gear, I'm like, oh, they're starting to turn it up. And then it ends. And it happens quick. And that's sort of the same thing that happened in the 93 match with uh, Wild Pegasus against El Samurai. Like, that was another one that I-, I thought, like, once it heated up, it kind of just ended abruptly. And that wasn't totally uncommon for the time. Because keep in mind, New Japan is very, like, Inoki-minded at th- at this period. And it wasn't uncommon to see a match just end off of a big move you know what I mean Mm -hmm. because it was supposed to be realistic based off fights but this one was really starting to gear up and then it just kind of ends so you know Jerry take us through those last few minutes there
1: yeah so towards the end there Benoit does a scoop slam he goes for the diving headbutt and misses and Otani gets a German for the near fall Um, Otani does a a springboard Rana for near fall which is pretty cool and he yeah. falls up with a springboard dropkick right to the back of Benoit's head. <laughs>
0: did, did that not give you Okado mega feels?
1: Yes, <laughs> that was awesome. Um, then Otani falls up with a dragon suplex for a near fall. Then Benoit it's a dragon suplex of his own for a near fall. So there's that kind of that one, one-upmanship I was kind of talking about. You uh, know, I,
0: I I didn't pick up on that. It's interesting you picked up on that. But like now, I almost kind of want to rewatch this so I can pay attention to the the gamesmanship that you're mentioning.
1: Yeah, and then uh, so Benoit goes for a super backdrop from the top. Otani escapes with a missile drop kick. Otani goes back to the top. but Benoit meets him up there and delivers a super tombstone pile driver off the top rope to get the win here.
0: By far the most shocking finish of any of the uh, super junior matches we've seen so far. So while I'm not as high on this match as many of the previous other junior matches we've seen, this might be, I, I don't want to say the best finish, but it's the most shocking and most impactful one.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is all, the second time, you know, the, the first Wild Pegasus match we reviewed, he did he hit that super power powerbomb out of nowhere. That,
0: that was crazy, too. And that's very similar layout to this one.
1: Yeah. And then here, out of nowhere, this freaking jumping tombstone pile driver um, out of nowhere, pretty much to get the win here.
0: Yeah. Uh, just incredible. And then, you know, after that's over, um, this obviously, they're right in the middle of a heavy promotion, into promotion uh, between WCW and New Japan. So, like you mentioned, Alex Wright was on the tour, Brian Pillman, Dean Malenko, uh, Eddie, and all those guys rush out and celebrate with him in the ring. Uh, That's another thing, you know, I wanted to touch on this. Um, they used to give guys big checks and giant trophies. Like, where'd that go? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Had 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 to cut the budget down. Those the dark days had to cut the budget down. <laughs>
0: that that there was two things that I we didn't talk about last week that I want to mention. So one was the pageantry at the end. I know when guys win the tournament now they get the confetti and they get the the uh, you know the single trophy. But back then they'd get like multiple trophies, a giant check. President would come out, shake hands. Other competitors would come out, and that was really cool. But another thing I noticed. Um, how cool was it that all of the tournament competitors would be ringside for the final match?
1: Yeah, that was awesome, and it seems like they were kind of divided. So obviously, you, know, you had like, the Gaijins were all like kind of cheering you know, pegasus, and then you know your your native guys, your, your New Japan guys, were kind of cheering on Otani. And yeah, that's pretty kind of cool out there. And you know, you would see you know guys and liger out there, and a lot of the matches ligers out there like kind of coaching or cheering on the guy he wants to win it's pretty cool to see
0: yeah i wish i wish they would kind of bring that sort of thing back i think we're going to get to a, a a match here where it seems like they're probably going to start doing away with that uh but you know from like about 91 on that seemed to be the you know standard procedure here so that was pretty cool um i went i don't know I, honestly I, I was about three and a half on this match
1: yeah that's, that's where i was at yeah uh that-
0: it, I wouldn't say go out of your way to watch it unless you really, really want to check it out. But like I mentioned before, these are not long matches. You know, these are all within a 30-minute time limit. I think this one was like 16, 17 minutes, something like that. It was pretty easy watching, honestly. Yeah,
1: it was on that level of the the first match of Koshinaka and and Hase.
0: I like the Koshinaka-Hase match better than this one, Mm.
1: believe it or not.
0: I, I actually think that this might be my least favorite of the tournament so far. Yeah. Even though, even though it has an awesome finish.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Because even, even like the, the Pegasus El Samurai match, which I had like 375, like I liked it, but I was expecting a little bit more. But then the finish just comes out of nowhere. And so, it's a, yeah, second like match here in a row with, with uh, Benoit, we're seeing a super crazy finish. And you're just like, wow, like, how do I rate this low <laughs> with this crazy finish?
0: Well, well, let me tell you this if it didn't have that crazy finish, I'm like three and a quarter on the match. Yeah, same here. So that's kind of the deal.
1: Yeah. And uh, so the aftermath here Liger, uh, like Liger in the previous year, Benoit wins the tournament for the second year in a row, uh, being the only guy at the time to do so until Prince Devitt would win the tournament in uh, 2010. Um, and like in 93, Pegasus failed in his championship challenge, this time against Koji Kanemoto on September 25th, 1995. Um, and it's a note here, Grand Hamada, who we mentioned as one of the participants, he was from uh, Michinoku Pro wrestling as one of the guest natives. Um, and then some notes here from uh, the wrestling observer. Uh, Dave says, Wild Pegasus Christmas Wall debuted a killer a new killer move, a tombstone pile driver off the top rope in winning the top of the Super second Gym. rope. <laughs> uh, top of Super Junior Tournament in New Japan, which ended in July 13th in Hiroshima for a sellout, 6,500 fans. Pegasus beat Shinjiro Otani in the finals in 19 minutes and 16 seconds. The tournament round robin ended in a four-way tie with Pegasus, Black Tiger, Eddie Guerrero, Otani, and I.W.G.P. and U.W.A. Junior Champion Koji Kanamoto. So they had a pair of semis on the undercard with Pegasus pinning Tiger in 16:37 with the tombstone off the top rope. Which Tiger Soul is being knocked out for several minutes in the ring. And Otani pinned uh, Kanemoto 15 fifteen twenty four with the dragon suplex. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah, he busted out that tombstone on Eddie earlier in the night. Interesting. So, hmm. so I guess, yeah, if you're watching the whole tournament and back then you, you saw that. So, it probably wasn't as crazy. But if you're just watching this match and... You see that you're just like whoa. Where did that come from? So he he
0: hit it. He hit Eddie Guerrero with the top rope tombstone, and then um did the same move in the finals. So he beat two guys with top rope tombstones back to back. Yeah, that seems like kind of like he's spamming finishers. I don't know. What it <laughs> But whatever, you know, I don't know that that seems kind of lazy to me because it's like I get it. It's cool. It, it's cool for one night story. But it's like, you know, you're supposed to reserve your like super finisher for like that one time. And so like you just if you hit it twice in the same night. I don't know if it has the same effect, but I don't know. who knows? Maybe it worked. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't. Maybe I'll go back and watch. Actually, you know, the funny thing is. Pegasus Kid and, and Black Tiger is not only on the drive that we have, but it's also on New Japan World. Um, Hmm. maybe it's a better match, and maybe that's why it's on New Japan World.
1: I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, Yeah, we're not gonna put this one up.
0: (laughs) For those of you who want to find this, we did have to find it on uh back channel means, but there is a clipped version of the match, uh, widely available, I believe, on Daily Motion. It's uh, like a 10 minute video, and it does have the finish on it.
1: Nice. So now we're gonna move on to Best of Super Juniors. 1996 So this tournament was held from May 24th to June 12th And this was the first tournament to use the two block format Featuring seven wrestlers in each block Now the even though they were using two block for this tournament Kind of how they got to the finals was a little bit different Um so in the a block um from the bottom we had Koji Kanamoto with 2 points Mr. JL which was Jerry Lin With 2 points We had Emilio Charles with 2 points Fran Schumann with 2 points Tashuta Takaiwa with 8 points Wild Pegasus with 10 points And El Samurai with 10 points Then in the B block from the bottom we had uh, Biano 4 with 2 points uh, Ishizawa with 4 points Norio Honaga with 4 points Dean Malenko with 6 points Shinjiro Otani with 6 points you should Thunder Liger with 8 points and then Black Tiger 2 with 10 points. How
0: about Dimalinko's in all these early Super Junior tournaments and this dude never makes it to the finals? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Always a bridesmaid, never the bride.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the funny thing. Um, so me and Jeremy were kind of talking about, uh, you know, the finals. And he's like, uh, the guys from the same block end up in the finals together? Like... What happened yeah,
1: here? Yeah, I was so confused. So the finals of this, of this year's tournament ends up being Black Tiger 2 and Jusin Thunder Liger, which they're both in the same block. And I was like, I didn't understand that. I was like, there's two blocks. How did that happen?
0: So this is basically the explanation. This was actually a very common occurrence in uh, round-robin tournaments that featured two blocks back in the day. They kind of done, done away with it in recent times, but Super Juniors used it. The G1 used it. And what would end up happening is the top four point earners, so the top two in the A block and the top two in the B block, would all progress to a playoff showdown. And the way it would work is uh, the top point earner in A block would be A1, and then obviously the second person would be A2, and then same thing would happen in the B block. And they would have the top point earner in the A block face the number two guy in B block, And vice versa, they'd have the B-Block top guy face the second guy from A-Block. So you ended up with a playoff here where El Samurai fought Jushin Thunder Liger and Black Tiger fought Wild Pegasus. And it just so happened that the two B-Block players both progressed and ended up in the finals together.
1: Yeah, so that was, yeah, to me it seems kind of convoluted (laughs) to do it that way, but...
0: It it is, and you know what? Sometimes to make it, um, you know, the thing is, like, you would think it's always going to be pretty um, predictable. It's like, obviously, Liger and Tiger all are from the same block, right? So you wouldn't expect for them to face each other. Same thing with Samurai and Pegasus. So you would either think it was going to be Tiger versus Samurai, or Pegasus against Liger, because those are, you know. the the two ways that it should go. But in order for, like, a good booker to kind of, like, curb that anticipation, sometimes they would need to book two guys from the same block, which makes sense, but then it's kind of a letdown. It's it's a rematch. Because it's a rematch. Unless it's an anticipated rematch, unless you did a good job building enough hype that people really want that rematch, it kind of sometimes sucks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I will say this, though. I do know that the... um, The Liger type we're gonna review this match here in a second, but their match from earlier in the tournament is also it's very highly regarded. So, I mean, obviously it's it's Eddie Guerrero and Jushin Thunder Liger, so (laughs) you know, any anytime those two guys got in the ring together, but uh, yeah, the first match they had in the tournament is considered to be a very, very good match, and it's also widely uh, available online.
1: Nice. So finals here, it's Jujun Thunder versus Black Tiger 2. It's June 12, 1996. We're at the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium in Osaka, Japan. Um, so what do you think about this match?
0: Well, before we get into it, just a brief background. Oh, yeah, Obviously, background
1: on Black Tiger.
0: So Black Tiger as a character, there have been many iterations of Black Tiger. The idea of what Black Tiger is, Black Tiger is the arch-evil Nemesis of Tiger Mask, and you know the original Tiger Mask was Satoru Sayama, and they needed to create an evil character to kind of con- uh, you know contrast from him, so they brought in Mark Rollerball Rocco from uh, England, and he played the first incarnation of Black Tiger, and even after uh, uh, Sayama left, and they ended up bringing in Mizawa in All Japan to be the second Tiger Mask um mark Rocco continued to play black tiger up into the 90s but after he stopped portraying the black tiger uh gimmick they needed to create a second one and that's where they bring in eddie guerrero um eddie guerrero actually well obviously we all know you know anyone who's listening probably is very familiar <laughs> with who eddie guerrero is but uh you know up to this point, Eddie Guerrero hadn't really made it into the big times. He was still a big star in like AAA and in Mexico. He was from the famous Guerrero family, one of, if not one of, the most famous Mexican wrestling families of all time. And Eddie is arguably the greatest wrestler of, of that uh, clan of wrestlers. Um, by, by the time 1995 comes around, though, he's already performing, he's had exposure in WCW, he's wrestling regularly in ECW. On a national state, actually, we're in nineteen ninety six, aren't we? Yeah. So he's already had his run in um, ECW that was that you know uh, launched him to fame to where he was signed by WCW. So you know he's already um, you know wrestling on national television in the states uh, as Eddie Guerrero for WCW. He had wrestled uh, previous tournaments under his name, so he'd done some of the top of the Super Junior tournaments under the name Eddie Guerrero. But then he went, once he donned the mask and the the uh, gimmick, uh, you know, of Black Tiger kind of um, changed his trajectory within the company. Um, and the 1996 period of his run was probably the, the highest of the heights for his run as Black Tiger.
1: Yeah, and from what I understand, so like you mentioned, Black Tiger 1 was kind of made to be the nemesis of Tiger Mask 1. But for Black uh, Tiger 2 they want him to kind of be the nemesis for jishin thunder liger
0: that may be the case but keep in mind there was a tiger mask 3 who wrestled in new japan from 1992 until 1994 and i i do think that black tiger 2 was designed to be the nemesis of tiger mask 3 uh tiger mask 3 being um koji kenamoto
1: Hmm. So, but I think,
0: but I think once they unmasked Tiger Mask, and Eddie still continued to thrive, I think they did need to kind of you know because the the whole reason that they unmasked Koji Kanemoto to begin with was because there was no need for Tiger Mask in New Japan, they had Liger. Right. And so I I do think they kind of took that energy and put put it more towards Liger.
1: Nice. So that's who Black Tiger is facing Harry's facing Liger. Um, so yeah, what do you think about this matchup?
0: um I've looked at your notes here I gotta be honest with you I'm not as high in this match as you are
1: but really
0: no absolutely not but I still think the match is really 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 good um <clears throat> the one thought I just kept having the entire time was that this might be the most the match that has the most uh big fight feel up to this point in super Junior's history like, there's definitely been great moments that we've reviewed already, but like on this night, the crowd was just so into Liger and tiger and uh, black tiger. And every interaction between them was like, Eddie is on the same level as Liger. Yeah. Anybody who, who had fought Liger before this had to like, basically in, in the super juniors finals had to like jump him and use nefarious means to beat him. And, like, try to draw his ire and, like, cheat him and things like that. Black Tiger didn't have to do that. Black Tiger obviously had, had heat with him. But, like, Black Tiger was hold for hold, move for move, counter for counter. Like, catch is catch can. Like, he was on – he was portrayed to be on the same level as Jushin Thunder Liger. And I – no one else in these, uh, you know, final finals matches that we've reviewed up at this point had really been portrayed to be on that same level yet.
1: Yeah, and, and um, so yeah. So where were you star rating wise on this then?
0: Um, ultimately, I I'm not that far off from you. Probably like four and a quarter. I, maybe even four. It it was good. I expected a little bit more, but the um the end, the the last half of the match is really good. Obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, I'm a four and a half on it. I don't know. I just really enjoyed this match, and you know throughout the match, you know Liger is kind of working over. Tiger's mat, uh Tiger Two's leg, Black Tiger's leg, kinda of slow him down, probably slow down that, that springboard offense, doing a lot of leg attacks, you know, locking in the, the Romero special and kinda of trying to slow him down and a lot of grappling towards the beginning. You know, we've seen in early matches Lager going to that Kimura, He used that here, um, towards the beginning in, in the grappling part here.
0: Uh Eddie Eddie selling is really great in this match.
1: Yeah. Uh in uh Liger's the showtase, man. The showtases were so nasty. Yeah. In in this time period here, I mean, they're they're, they're still effective when he was, you know, in the last couple of years. But I feel during this time period, he was really laying in uh, those showtases here. Um, I think kind of started picking up for me a little bit when they when they go out to the outside, and um, you know, Liger Tiger slams Liger on the cement and then goes to the top and it's this big crazy dive. So, he he opens up the guardrails, and that's where he slams Liger on the cement, and then he goes on top of a dive from the ring to kind of where Liger was in that crowd area where he opened up the guardrails. It's a big, crazy dive. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. uh,
0: Up to that point, like, this really hadn't been too much of a high-flying match, and then once he goes to the top and hits that that senton to the outside, which we've seen him hit in almost every single match uh, in these finals... um, that, that was really awesome. Now, keep in mind, Liger in August of this year is going to be undergoing brain tumor uh, surgery and kind of have to change his entire in-ring style from that point going forward. So this is like one of the last big tournament performances of Liger's career. And he really did show out on this night.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was talking about um, from Eddie's splash or Eddie's dive. Um, oh, okay, because
0: cause Liger hits a senton on this one, I apologize
1: Yeah, it's okay, yeah, that's I think a little bit after that Liger sits up and does his, his uh, senton dive that he's been doing in all these matches Which is just awesome um, Yeah And uh, so towards the, the, the end of the match here um, Liger hits Eddie with a running tiger bomb uh, for a near fall He goes for a tornado DDT Eddie reverses it, hits a brain buster And he falls up with a crucifix bomb for a Near fall uh, he goes for A superplex Liger reverses on the way Down for a pin uh, Liger goes up top and he hits a Diving attack and he locks in an Arm bar uh, Eddie gets the ropes Liger uh, go, Puts Eddie on the top rope Eddie fights out puts Liger on the top Rope and hits a super brain buster For the win
0: Yeah um, Yeah so I guess um, the end here was really awesome because it, it really started to kind of get into. Um, you know, sometimes people complain about like the WWE house styles, how like every big match has big move, kick out, big move, kick out, big move, kick out, and people don't really like that. But like in New Japan, that was kind of a rare thing at this point in time. So like to kind of see like these finals where these guys are hitting like Splash Mountain bombs, Liger bombs, you know, big Hurricane Ranas. DDTs, tornado DDTs, you know, everything and they they're just like basically trying to throw everything at one another and each guy's kicking out. It's kind of awesome because you know, when you when when a company isn't exercising that same style for every match, then when they do it in the rare occasion, it makes it more impactful if that makes sense. Yeah. And we really ha- we've seen a lot of matches where people I think what we've seen a lot of, and this is what I was alluding to earlier when I when I mentioned that these guys seem like they're on the same level. We've seen a lot of matches where one guy is trying desperately at the end to put the other guy away, and he just can't. But on this, in this match, right down to the very end, both guys are hitting each other with bombs, and they're both kicking out. And it's kind of fucking awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then Eddie used that Super Brain Buster that Liger used in uh, previous Super Juniors to get a win
0: yeah I noticed that um and I was kind of surprised that that was it he also hit him with a you know people never give Eddie I know Liger has an awesome brain buster but I think Eddie's always had like one of the best brain busters of all time
1: yeah it, it was it was smooth like
0: his his brain is up there with guys like like Hashimoto and like Austin Aries like he is he's incredible um the the one knock i have in this match is just the early leg work was, was kind of boring to me mm. and didn't really play much into the second half of the match to be honest with you yeah and that was
1: yeah even the beginning was kind of weird so like he started working on the legs um and then he just yeah kind of abandoned it pretty early like he did the romero special did some stomps on the leg and after that it was pretty much it like he's doing a normal like tilt the world back breakers going to abdominal stretches he's Kind of doing all this other stuff, you know, starts working on the arms with the Kamura, and then kind of kind of abandons the leg.
0: Yeah. And that that was that was why I was a little low on this. Like the second half of the match, once it kicks into gear, it's very fantastic. But the early work was it wasn't bad. But when I consider the fact that it's Liger and Tiger and what I know that they're capable of and I've seen them, you know, produce, this was just kind of a little beneath the level. If that makes sense, yeah. But overall, still, still incredible. I mean, four and a quarter, four, four stars, four and a quarter. That's nothing to sneeze at, especially nineteen ninety six.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Man. I was, a, I was really high on this one by the time I watched. I was four and a half on it. Uh, and 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 maybe
0: you're right. Maybe maybe I'm incorrect here. I mean, that's you know,
1: it's subjective. But uh, yeah. it's still,
0: it's a really good match.
1: Yeah, we're pretty much in the same kind of range though. So yeah, really good match, Eddie. And Liger um, You know afterwards um, Eddie would go on to unsuccessfully Challenge the great Sasuke For the junior championship on uh, June 17th 1996 um, There's a lots Of notes here um, in the observer From day. I'm not going to read through all But just some of the stuff that um, I, probably-
0: I do think Eddie Guerrero went on To win the title that year though Um In 1996 Let me, let me, not, not that title challenge, but I'm pretty sure as Black Tiger, yeah, oh, no, I'm sorry, yeah, so it it looks like he did lose, I'm incorrect,
1: my bad. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Uh, So, yeah, so some notes from Dave, so there's a lot of stuff on this year's tournament in some of the observers, but i just kind of pulling out some interesting stuff here, so Dave says, overall, the top of the Super Junior tournament didn't seem to garner as much interest or draw the crowds as in years past because of lack of depth as compared with past years. None of the newcomers, Viano, Four, Franz, Schumann, Jerry Lynn, or Amelia Charles Jr. were pushed as threats for the top guys. And while the top guys are five or six of the top twenty wrestlers in the world, they have no new feuds or storylines and have been facing each other over facing each other in, in every tournament for the past few years. In addition, Koji Kanemoto, who would have added depth to the tournament, was injured and missed the entire tournament with Charles and Lynn, broken shoulder and shoulder separation respectively, were knocked out of action during the tour, leading to a lot of forfeit wins. Dave also goes on to say the tournament, which came off as something of a letdown this year due to numerous injuries, picked up in the final two days with what we've heard were excellent semifinals and a championship match. Um, and he mentioned that uh, they had a 6,650 sellout in Osaka with uh, Tiger pinning Liger using the Brain Buster um, So yeah, so
0: Yeah, and I like what he said here that it's Tiger's biggest win uh, Career win in Japan and probably anywhere else for that matter um, You know, and he said the win made sense on several levels as it gave credibility to Tiger in the scheduled IWGP junior title match on June 17th, and in the future title matches as well, as well as heats up a long-term program with him and Liger. So, I mean, you know, in 1996, he's basically saying that this is the biggest win of Eddie Guerrero's career anywhere, including AAA, including ECW, including WCW. Like, this was the biggest career win he'd had at that point.
1: Yeah, and I think, too, something we've seen with uh, the previous tournaments where once Liger kind of got on top of the throne... He, he needed competition, he needed program because he was a top star and pretty much nobody that had was kind of reaching his level. Um, and so creating this you know program here with Black Tiger and having Tiger beat him, I think Tiger beat him twice in the tournament earlier in the B block, and so having Tiger kind of be dominant over him sets up a, a new challenger and a new feud for Liger this year.
0: Well, they would have only faced once in the B block, I'm pretty
1: sure, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the first B-Block match, I think Tiger won. And then, okay,
0: because you said you said twice, and I was a little confused.
1: Yeah, I meant, like, for their first matchup in the B-Block, and then this final match here.
0: Oh, yeah, so overall beat them twice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So, yeah, definitely set things up for a nice little program there, and to kind of give some credibility to the junior division.
0: Nice. So, let's go to the top of the Super Junior Final 1997, and uh, this might be deja vu for some of you listeners, because... This was the recommended match of the week just you know, a few weeks ago. But, uh, Jeremy, take us through it.
1: Yeah, and we'll, I will say, like, I don't know, like, this, I had it, like, I guess I had, like, new lenses on watching this match. And we'll get to the match in a second. But, yeah, so 1997 Best of the Super Juniors. Once again, we have a two-block tournament, um, 14-man tournament, 7-7 seven and seven in each block, held from May 16th to June 5th. Um this in the following tournament in nineteen ninety-eight would utilize a different point system that involved only one point for a win and zero points for a loss or a draw. We had guest natives included Grand Neo Neo Niwa Nio- and Hanzo Gran Nakajima. Gran Naniwa Naniwa and Hanzo Nakajima from Michinoku Pro Wrestling and we had Yoshihiro Tajiri from Big Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah. So the final here was Kanemoto and Samurai, which was awarded five stars by Dave Melser. So in the A block at the bottom, we had Chavo Guerrero Jr. with one point, Doc Dean with two points, Dr. Wagner Jr. with two points, Grand. how do you say his last name again? Ninawa? Gran and Niwa. Niwa, three points, uh, Takaiwa with four points, Liger with four points, and then Kanemoto on top of the block with five points. And then on the B block, we had Robbie Brookside. One point, Scorpio Jr. with one point, Digiri with three points, Nakajima with three points, Chris Jericho with four points, Otani with four points, and El Samurai at the top of the block there with five points.
0: It's just crazy when you go back and see the actual competitors for these tournaments. They sound like like dream tournaments.
1: Yeah, I mean literally, literally. I I know he was saying in, you know, ninety six that, you know, it wasn't as a lot of interest as previous tournaments, but pretty much every year, for the most part, I'm like, man, these lineups are pretty stacked. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like it's kind of crazy. So, um, let's talk about this uh, 1997 top of the Super Juniors, best of Super Juniors um, final here. So we've got Koji Kenemoto against L Samurai. Yep. Yeah. And so June 5th,
1: 1997, we're in the Nippon Budokan in Tokyo, Japan. And, big,
0: big big arena
1: Yeah And I I know the first time I watched this match and I reviewed it I think I was like four and a quarter Four stars I was like you know it was kind of slow At the beginning I don't know what it was but When I watched this match This <laughs> weekend bro I freaking loved it I fell in love with it I, Maybe I got a better understanding Of Kenamoto through this project And maybe just the junior style and El Samurai through this project, but I absolutely freaking love this thing.
0: Yeah. When, when I originally had recommended it, I was like, Oh man, like this is going to be great because it is a different style than what you're used to seeing, but it's also like the best of the house style, probably in 1997 for juniors in new Japan. So I was like, man. And, and the other thing too, well, before I get to that, so You know, the thing is, I was like, man, this is a great Recommend Like, Jeremy can really, like, kind of get a taste of what wrestling, you know, New Japan was like in 97 and see it on the highest stage. And then you're like, that's pretty good, four and a quarter. I was like, all right, like, that's cool. Like, it's fine. Like, I'm not going to judge you for that. Like, because I could see why someone today might say that. But I was like, I mean, and remember when we were on that show, I was like, I mean, I don't know, I'm closer to like four and three quarters. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, I'm like, and, and, and I'm not far off from giving it the full five snowflakes. Like, that's how good the match is. But, um, you know, the one thing I think I noticed rewatching it is, and I've always known this, but doing this project, it is so glaringly obvious how different in tone and style this 1997 match is from everything that's happened before it. Yeah. And it's clearly an indication of how they're moving more towards the shoot based uh style of wrestling and obviously i think the uwfi and to some extent the war um invasions in new japan plus just the uh plus just what's going on in japan at this point with like k1 and pride and you know um and everything and just mma in general the entire tone of of junior wrestling is starting to change away from the classical Liger, Eddie Guerrero, Dimalinko, you know, sort of style. And it's moving more towards this more hard hitting, more shoot base oriented. uh, And that may or may not be a good thing. Like in some cases we're going to find out as we go along on this project, some cases that's not, (laughs) it's not always a good thing, but in this match, it kind of freaking ruled.
1: Yeah, and I've just been falling in love with Koji Kanemoto because he's, like, the perfect mix of strong style, grappling style, and high-flying. Like, this guy is, like, hitting you with these hard chops, kicks, and strikes, and then he's jumping up and doing a moonsault or doing a corkscrew splash or corkscrew press.
0: Yeah, is that what – he does a corkscrew senton?
1: Yeah, corkscrew senton. He does that
0: all the time.
1: Yeah, and and with ease, just bounces up on top rope, and it's like – This guy was just, like, doing strikes. Like, he's a strong style guy. Now he's, you know, flipping around like a flippy dude junior. Like, what's going on here? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, now, one thing I noticed with this match, the first time we reviewed it, I had mentioned how I loved the ground exchanges. And the second time I watched it, I'll tell you what, the early ground exchanges, once I paid even more attention, I don't really like them. Until, there's, there's I'll tell you the moment when this match kicks in the full gear for me. The moment that, they both slap each other. Mm. They're standing, they're standing in the center of the ring and uh, like Koji slaps Samurai, Samurai slaps him. And then they double slap each other, James Boyd spot. (laughs) And then they fall back. And then from there, Samurai goes to the top rope and tries a double knee drop or like a King Kong knee drop off the top rope and then hurts his knee. And from that point forward, the story of of Kenamoto attacking the leg kicks into full gear, but the first like five or six minutes of groundwork, they're actually it's actually not that good. Once the groundwork moves to, I'm attacking your leg. I'm gonna flick you off. I'm gonna slap you in the face. Like and there's nothing you can do about it. That's when the match really picks up for me.
1: Yeah. And so yeah. So Samura is having to fight back here and trying to fight back off off the leg that Koji just keeps attacking, keeps working on. Uh, Throughout the match And here like we were mentioning In the previous matches with the competitors Being on the outside you know Liger's on the outside Here and he's really cheering In and coaching for El Samurai here and um, You know getting pissed Off when uh, Koji's like Ripping Samurai's mask and Yelling at the referee like he's really involved In the match up here and it's really Invested in in this final
0: Yeah and obviously we've kind of Touched base on like the the history of Liger and Samurai. They had a, you know, obviously a very famous, uh, super junior final in 1992 where, you know, Samurai's mask was almost ripped off. And it's kind of funny how history sort of repeats itself in this match as, um, rips the mask and almost rips it entirely off. And he's fighting like basically with his whole face exposed, which is exactly what happened in the 1992 match.
1: Right. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the mask is ripped off, the crowd's pissed, Liger's pissed, they're booing uh, Kanemoto, um, and Koji hits uh, Poison Rana from the top, which was just freaking incredible.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if I've ever seen anyone do a Poison Rana in general that I can remember around that time, and then he did it off the top rope, and I'm just like, I remember, like, I just can't remember too many times in the 90s that that ever happened, unless, like, there's some... I don't know, some Michinoku Pro or some, like, Torimon that I don't know about where they're doing it or something, or, I don't know, so, some Lucha, but i never seen that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just hit, he hit so smooth, and the funny thing is, he, after he hit that Poison Rana, the crowd starts chanting loudly for El Samurai. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you would think that Poison Rana would probably start chanting for Koji, but yeah, he hits the Poison Rana, and the crowd's starting to get even more behind El Samurai.
0: It's because Kanemoto was such a dick the entire match. Like every time he'd put a leg lock or an ankle hold or figure four on, he's giving this guy the finger, slapping him in the face, and just doing little things to get under his skin. One moment I really love Kanemoto is, or I'm sorry, uh, Samurai starting to mount a comeback, right? Mm-hmm. And his legs been attacked. He's count, he's mounting a comeback. And he's kicking Kanemoto in the face, fucking hard, mind you. And then he, uh, he. T- he puts him in a tree of woe, so he has him in the corner, and he baseball slides with his bad foot into Kanemoto's face one time, and then he tries to do it a second time, and or maybe it's the third time I can't remember, but uh, Kanemoto grabs the ankle and puts him in a freaking ankle lock from there, and I'm like, oh, this is this is next level shit, right? Yeah, here.
1: I love that spot because what happened was earlier in the match, Koji had Samurai in a tree of woe. Yes, and he was like face washing him and choking him with his foot. So then El Samurai was trying to get revenge. So he did the baseball slide and then he started choking him with the foot. And that's when Koji grabbed the foot into the ankle lock. And,
0: and then, you know, Samurai gets to the ropes in that moment, but Canomo just keeps holding onto it a lot longer. And he's like, most guys, when people get to the ropes, they'll hold onto it, but they're not like cranking it. He gets to the ropes and he starts cranking it even way, way, way harder. And he's like, I've got till four. And that's why the crowd's not behind him. Cause this guy, he's being a dick and it's, it's kind of incredible. Like this is by far the even even as heated as say like Liger Samurai was, this is the most heated uh, and intense uh, Super Junior final that we've reviewed up to this point.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, there was so much heat here in this match, and so yeah, after the Poison Rana Koji, he goes for a moonsault, but Samurai gets the knees up, and this is Samurai's kind of little comeback here. He hits two jackknife power bombs, gets an arm bar. Koji fights the rope. Samurai goes up to the top, but Koji meets him up there and it gives him this awesome super exploder fallaway slam slash Spanish fly looking thing. It was awesome. Um, hits him with a quick uh, scoop slam. Hits a moonsault. But Koji here, to show what kind of a dick he is, he doesn't go for the cover. Instead, he hits a tiger suplex, which only gets a near fall. Then he goes for his uh, corkscrew senton Samurai moves. Samurai hits uh, the scorpion death drop. Then this, like, spin-out Scorpion Death Drop slam thing followed by another Scorpion Death Drop for the win. But awesome. keep
0: in mind, the, fir- the the first one was, like, a Scorpion Death Drop from the top rope.
1: That's right, yeah, Super Scorpion, yeah.
0: And here's the, the awesome thing, what I loved about this, and we haven't seen this too much in any of these Super Junior matches either. This was, like, a finishing sequence of move after move after move. In a lot of the matches, what we've seen is guys either sneaking a win or hitting a big maneuver you know what i mean right but this was different this was like one of those will osprey like i'm gonna hit you with the Nas cutter i'm gonna hit you with the uh hidden blade <laughs> with a hidden blade now now i'm gonna hit you with a freaking you know uh whatever like that's what the, this was the 1997 version of that like he was like all right super scorpion that probably would do it heck nah I'm going to hit you with, uh, you know, this spin out, whatever this. I don't even know what the fuck that was. Neither, he, dude, like,
1: he picked him up like he was going to do a, a, a fall away like Scorpion Death Drop. And then he like spinned him out. Him. Yeah, I don't, I don't know kind, what to call it that. Kind
0: of, it kind of remind me of like what uh, what's Hiromu do? Not the, um,
1: the uh, dynamite plunger.
0: It, yeah, it reminds me of the dynamite plunger a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. But yeah. And um, it's just kind of awesome because I don't know if. I couldn't tell if Samurai is like hitting him with these three moves because he thinks I need to do this to put him away. Or if he's like, I need to do this to prove a point and get revenge because this guy's been, you know, basically fucking me up the whole the whole match. And the other cool thing, too, is just like and this is what I think is so smart about this match. It's not just the cool moves. It's the legwork. I know like a lot of people complain about legwork, but when it's done right, it's It's important and it's incredible and like Kanemoto fucked this guy's leg up so bad that every time Samurai is mounting a comeback, Kanemoto will do a very simple leg move. He'll do an ankle lock and the crowd is like, (laughs) oh, and they start freaking out because it's believable at this point that this guy is maybe done. And then when he gets to the ropes, it means something. You know what I mean? Right. It's not not just the the move – like, to have that effectively done, it's not just the move and getting to the ropes and the guy selling. It's the work that was done previously so that it's believable that that's the moment. And they have, like, three or four moments like that to where you're like, oh, shit, Samurai is fucked. And when he overcomes the odds, that's what makes this match so great is that he overcame this onslaught from Kanemoto from these leg kicks – and from the submission holds that he put on him, it's like, how did this dude even win?
1: Yeah. yeah awesome match. I, I bumped my rating up to five. I went to full five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Um,
0: I'm, I'm still four and three quarters on the match. But, I mean, that's four and three quarters. And yeah. I still think it's one of the greatest uh, Super Junior Finals of all time.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it was, man. Like it was, it was like I watched this match for the first time. Like It was like a whole new experience this time around. I don't know. What, I guess because I have a, a better understanding of these guys, and I'm doing more background research on the tournament and how they got here and all this stuff, but yeah. Well,
0: I think part of it, too, is like once you – and I've always found this to be the case for me when I watch retro wrestling. If I only watched – hypothetically, if I only watched top-end wrestling today and – not only is top end wrestling today more athletic, but it has its own quirks and styles. And then I go back and I watch, say, 1970s, uh, you know, w- World of Sport, I'm going to be like, uh, I don't even know. It's not even, even though they're both wrestling, they're not even the same thing. You know what I mean?
1: Right. You kind
0: of have to judge. Like, that's why I think when Meltzer says you have to judge something in its own time you know, that is the case, like, to have a true understand, like, things can be great, like, and I'll just say this, like, I think there are still five-star matches from the 80s that are every bit as good as the wrestling today, but they're just different, you know, for, because the styles of wrestling in different eras and different places and regions are completely different from what we see today, and I think once you watch more of that, you can kind of get more of a understanding and appreciation of it and you kind of compare it like obviously if you contrast this match to um say like Okada Omega today, it's not on the same level, you know, what I mean, but it's still great for its own reasons And and once you kind of compare it to everything else that you were seeing from that that era You're like, oh wow, this is something truly special.
1: Yeah um So aftermath here. So El Samurai he goes on to defeat Liger for the Junior Championship on July 6th. Uh, then some notes here from The Observer. Dave says, The biggest surprise of the 1997 version of the New Japan Top of the Super Juniors Tournament is that the perennial finalist Jushin Liger won't be in the championship match on 6-5 at Tokyo Budokan Hall. Instead, it's guaranteed there will be a first-time winner of the tournament when Kanemoto faces El Samurai. Also in the show finals on Top of the Super Junior Tournament, where El Samurai pinned Koji Kanemoto twenty three fifty one. Came went to unmask Samurai at 17 minutes And Samurai wrestled the remainder of the match With his face totally exposed He won after hitting three reverse TEs To capture his first ever junior tournament championship Nice So then that's going to take us to Best of the Super Juniors 1998 The last tournament that we'll be reviewing On this week's show So 1998 once again we have a two block tournament here this time with 12 men so six in each block we're going from may 16th to june 3rd this year And like the the previous year it's it's using the simpler point system um, Which is one point for a win and zero for a loss or a draw So in the a block at the bottom here we had uh, Fukuda with one point uh, Takai with two points Shinjiro Otani with two points El Samurai with three points Liger with three points, and Dr. Wagner Jr. with four points. And in the B block, we had uh, Yasaroka with one point, uh, Hayato with two points, El Felino with two points, Kendo Kashin with three points, Shiryu with three points, and then Koji Kenimoto with four points. So which brings us to the final. On June third, nineteen 1998, Osaka, Municipal uh, Central Gymnasium in Osaka, Japan, We have Dr. Ragnarok Jr. versus Koji Kanemoto.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, a background on both of these competitors. So we we talked about Kanemoto in the 1997 match, but we actually haven't even done a background on him. So, you know, Kanemoto started with the New Japan Dojo in the late 80s and debuted in late 1990. He was a judo practitioner all throughout high school and even – won championships as a professional before being recruited by the dojo. Um, in 1992, he de- he made his um, debut as the third incarnation of Tiger Mask. Uh, so he was the successor to Mitsuharu Mizawa. And um, he continued with that character until early 1994, where they had a famous mask versus mask match between him and Jushin Liger at uh, Battlefield I believe it was in the Tokyo Dome and he lost the match obviously and had to unmask and started wrestling under his own name. And he kind of left the high flying, uh, version of his, uh, move set at that point and started moving more into a shoot style based offense. He was trained in that art from, uh, Kazu Yamazaki who'd also been in some of the early top of the super junior, uh, um, tournaments here. So, you know, he got really popular cause he kind of combined what Jeremy talked about scientific wrestling with hard strikes and judo along with some of, mixing in some of his earlier high flying stuff from the tiger mask. And he's kind of like one of the most well-rounded juniors of the nineties. Uh, he was the first man to ever defend the IWGP junior heavyweight title in the United States. He did that uh, against Alex Wright on Starcade in 1995. Um, uh, he also is one of the only people to have ever defeated kazushi sakuraba in a shoot style wrestling match and yeah he has plenty of accolades all throughout his time in new japan going into the 2000s he's going to be a major player and a major mainstay for new japan pro wrestling leading into all the way to like the the 2010s and everything like that so kenemoto is a, a big figure but we're still like in the infancy stages of his you know junior title runs um, on the op- and at this point he's already he's been a dual UWA which is the uh, the Mexican partner to New Japan at that point in time he at one point I think they mentioned a year or two prior he was the dual UWA light heavyweight as well as uh, iwgp junior heavyweight title holder which is kind of crazy um, with that being the case the UWA that's a good that's a great time to talk about Dr. Wagner uh, Dr. Wagner Jr. So Dr. Wagner Jr. Is from a very famous, um, Lucha Libre family. Um, as you know, we talked about that with Eddie Guerrero. It kind of seems to be like once a family goes into the wrestling business over there, it kind of becomes a, a way of life for them. Yeah. Um, but, um, Dr. Wagner Jr. Uh, has been wrestling since like the mid to early eighties. Uh, he made his, um, he would already been wrestling, but he made his debut under the Dr. Wagner Jr. name in 1987, and he started wrestling for the UWA. At the time, the two biggest companies – see, AAA didn't – for those of you that don't know, they didn't start until 1993. So the two big players in Mexico at this time were EMLL, which would become CMLL, and the U, the Universal Wrestling Association, which was like UWA – and um, UWA was like headlined by such famous wrestlers as like El Fishman, guys like that. And Dr. Wagner Jr. became a major star over there. Um, he won their UWA World Junior Heavyweight title, and throughout his career, he'd be one of the most successful uh, lucha libre personalities. He won. Almost every title in AAA, including their mega championship. He went to CMLL and won almost every title there, including their uh, world Light heavyweight title, which is like their main title. Um, he's also been an NWA world Light heavyweight champion. He's also been an a IWGP junior heavyweight tag champion. Um, so, I mean, he's very, very, very famous <laughs> uh, Lucha Libre uh, star. But um, what year are we in, 1998. Yep. Uh, so in 1998, at that point, UWA wasn't doing so hot. AAA was around. They were kind of taking over. So CMLL and UWA were kind of like forming a partnership, and I think eventually CMLL was going to take over UWA. And Wagner had been wrestling in Japan going back to, the, to like 88, but he really hadn't gotten any big like pushes or big runs or anything like that. He did participate in the previous year's Super Juniors, with uh some limited success and then suddenly in 1998 he's in the finals of the tournament which kind of comes from out of nowhere so tons of success in mexico but this is the biggest stage he's ever been on when it comes to japanese wrestling
1: yeah and it's funny like the 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 first thing i noticed with wagner here like he, he does not look like a junior
0: he's not a junior like literally when the first thing i thought when i watched this i was like you know what's funny uh, he actually wrestles under the name Ray uh, Wagner now because he lost his mat, his uh, he lost his mask in 2017. Yeah, uh, to Psycho that. Clown. Yeah, and now he's King Wagner, but uh, he looks more like a junior now. He's in better, he's in better shape in 2020 than he was in 1998.
1: Swear to God. Yeah, dude, I saw, this, I was like, now I see why Josh was always talking about Ishii being in the junior division. Cause he, yeah. he look he's built like <laughs> almost like Wagner. So obviously Wagner has a little bit of a better better like body build, but like Wagner is not a freaking junior. I was like the IWGP need to check the scales here. Like something something was something was up here. Like this guy was not a junior.
0: There was there was a Mexican benefactor that was paying off the IWGP to get this man, you know, in positive standings. Because there's no way. I think their uh, weight limit's two twenty. I'm pretty sure, and there's no way Doctor Wagner Jr. was
1: 220. No, nah, <laughs> dude, that man. No yeah, way. Yeah, dude, guy was huge. Um, and I, I liked his uh, his little like CMLL NWO shirt. Yeah. Uh, oh
0: yeah, that shirt was. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I, as soon as I saw, it, I was like, I want to remember to ask Jeremy. Like, yo, how can we get those CMLL shirts? Like, <laughs>
1: those,
0: <laughs> sh- those shirts are hard. Yeah, I
1: don't know where <laughs> if anybody has selling any of those, but. Yo, yeah. they're
0: fucking awesome. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I don't know. I found that that was funny.
0: We should make a Keeping It Strong style shirt that's NWO.
1: Shit, <laughs> sure, that'd be cool. That
0: should be our next design. We'll sell it on pro wrestling tees. <laughs>
1: Let's do it. Alright. Uh,
0: yeah, this is a match that um, I enjoyed a lot, but I wasn't sure I, I see your notes now and I see that you really love this match, but I wasn't sh- watching it. I was like, dude, I don't know what Jeremy's going to think of this match.
1: Yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, I went uh, 4. <laughs> 4.75 on this thing. Uh, I thought it was a, a great back-and-forth match here. And very interesting, you know, Koji Kanemoto kind of coming off the last final where he was kind of like the dickhead heel. And here he was almost the, the baby face kind of defending Japan here uh, against a foreigner in Dr. Wagner Jr.
0: Yeah, um, am I correct in saying this is the longest super junior final of all time up to that point
1: i believe so yeah
0: it felt like it was it was It was pretty long uh i think it was like 25 26 minutes something like that which is pre- uh pretty lengthy for them and um dude wagner jr kicked the shit out of koji kenemoto i'm did. talking
1: bad yeah bro. Got, all, got all simpy on this man
0: dude not only was he using his size to like do power moves and slam this dude. But he was also using his like uh unorthodox like Mexican submission Yaveo style like uh holds
1: mm-hmm. and the
0: whole and just tying this dude up in knots like like Zack Saber style, bro. Like um every time like Koji tried to get something and you know what? That's what I want that was the one point when I was watching this. I wanted to remember to mention this. This seemed to be the stark contrast for most of the match between Mexican style wrestling and Japanese style wrestling. Now I know it's kind of lazy to like draw that comparison. Anytime you see like a luchador against like, you know, a strong style practitioner. But the reason I mention that is because it reminds me of a lot of the famous matches that like when connect would come over and, and wrestle in new Japan or like when, uh, mil mascaras would go to all japan and, and fight some of their guys there was always this kind of like stark contrast to the type of offense and the type of style that the, the guys would uh practice and you kind of saw that really exemplified here like every time kanemoto tried to get going it was hard strikes it was high flying it was like very stiff and then with um wagner it was, you know, a lot of like fluid movement, a lot of like rolling into like various submissions, and like um, even though like he was integrating some of the strikes and stuff, it was power moves. It was high flying. It was it it was just like a tale where you could see these two wrestling styles in very stark contrast to one another.
1: Yeah, and. You know, we talked about you know Koji Kanemoto kind of being all encompassing with the strong style, and the high flying. Um, for me, one thing I loved—it it seemed like he was kind of trying to do a little bit of lucha in the beginning. There was a spot where he, so like Wagner has him down the, like the test of strength, like pin in position thing. Oh uh, yeah, the and monkey he, flip. Yeah, he probably does a monkey flip, and Wagner just looks shook after that. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> "Where this guy learn to do this this lucha monkey flip from?" <laughs>
0: Um, um, the, the thing that was, there were some things I do want to criticize about the match though. Okay. Um, I think Kanemoto was very fantastic as the underdog baby face because he, he, for, for a good portion of the match, he plays the, the face in peril almost like perfectly, but every time he would start firing back up, I don't know if it was because he was on like fighting from underneath the whole time. When he would start to get his hope spots, he was fucking stuff up like real bad. There was even one point where uh, he dropped himself on his head on accent. Do
1: you, do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, that was kind of weird.
0: Yeah, so he had some botches. They didn't ruin the match for me or anything, but um, there was that. Like There were like three or four times where he had some botches where he kind of messed things up. And then Wagner Jr.'s um, – like him being on top so heavy, it – it's what made it was the story of the match, but it got to a point where, like, he keeps hitting these huge, huge finishers on Kenomoto. Kenomoto keeps kicking out, and it started going into the realm of parody a little bit for me mm. towards the end because it was like seven or eight or nine or something like that. It was like a lot, and um, Kenomoto just kept kicking out, and I think that's a great story. But towards the end, I was like, man, it's, I was like, if Kanemoto doesn't hit him with something real, real big at the end, I'm not going to believe this. And then he hits him with like a tiger suplex. And I was like, I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) I still really like the match a lot. I'm, I'm still like, these are just my, my criticisms. I'm still like four and a half on it. I think it's one of the best super juniors up to that point. Uh, for the finals, but I, those were the things That I was like, I don't know
1: <laughs> Yeah, and something else I've noticed too was With um, the, the kind of strike exchanges, like Koji always Kind of won whenever they had like strike Or chop exchanges He was always kind of getting the better of, of Wagner there, and then Wagner would have to like take him down And put him in some submission You know, there was one point where he locked like this Deep, deep half crab And then he transitioned into, into a lion tamer which is pretty Yeah, cool. it was awesome um, and yeah, Koji was fighting back. Hit, hit his signature belly to belly suplex. And yeah, it's kind of kind of a tale of like, you know, Kanemoto's trying to, trying to suplex him and chop this guy. Wagner's using like you mentioned his Yavero, like lucha submissions. All, he put him on a lot of submissions uh, throughout this match. Um, we see a lot of Estrell cradle for near fall at one point. Um, there's a there's a spot where Wagner he scoops him he hits this huge body splash like jimmy snooker style like a straight up he he hits him with
0: as a heavyweight he hits him with a uh top rope splash onto a junior
1: yeah let's just say what it was (laughs) (laughs) literally squashing this man like (laughs) uh
0: what what about the um he at one point he put uh kenemoto in a reverse um boston crab the pendulum boston crab yeah and and he keeps banging that dude's head on the freaking mat (laughs) i was like I was like, my God. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, so, yeah, coming down towards the end of the match here. Sakoji he, he's trying for that Tiger suplex, but he can't get it. Uh, he had a spin kick to the back of um, Wagner's head. He goes for a roll-up for the near fall. Tries to get the moonsault. Wagner moves and hits this nasty Michinoku driver.
0: <sighs> that Michinoku driver is, like, one of the nastiest ones I've ever seen. And that's when I was like, okay, that should be it. And then his, he gets his foot on the rope. Right. And I was like, okay, okay, I can believe that.
1: So it, it, was, it was a three count, but he got his foot on the rope before the three. And the ref had to explain to Wagner, like, oh, no, he got his foot on the rope first. And so Koji kind of rolls to the outside. He's trying to recover. You know, Liger and everybody's, like, cheering him on. He,
0: he almost gets counted out. Like, yeah. that's how devastating the Michinoki driver is, which I thought was great. Was, like, he rolls out, but, like, he can't get back in. And it's like, oh, it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So then he, he gets back in the ring, and Wagner hits him with another Michinoku driver. And, and it's just as
0: good as the first one, yes. literally. kills and like, man. And then I was like, okay, well, that, I, I knew the outcome, but I was like, that probably should have been it. Like, that's how, that's how bad this was.
1: Yeah, but he kicks out fighting spirit. Uh, and then Wagner goes for a, pop up, a power bomb. Koji counters with Arana, but Wagner counters oh, to a cover no, of his no, own. No.
0: That, that he tries to counter with the run, and that's where he spikes himself on the head.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: He he was supposed to. He spikes himself in the head, and then Wagner uh, doesn't miss a beat, and then he he hits him with a freaking bonsai drop. Yeah, he's like he hits him with the bonsai drop, and I was like, oh that look, and it, and it, he hits him hard too, and I was like, oh shit, it's <laughs> over.
1: <laughs> um. So then Wagner goes for a diving headbutt. Uh, Koji moves. Uh, Koji gets a, a roll up run for two. Koji starts kinging Wagner. The scoop slam followed by the moonsault, and then he picks Wagner up. Hits the tiger suplex. One, two, three. Koji Kanemoto wins Best of Super Juniors ninety eight.
0: The other thing too is like after he pinned Wagner, Wagner kind of popped up almost right away. Like I guess to protect his heat or whatever.
1: Yeah. And he's like, what?
0: He's like, what happened? He beat me. What? Are you (laughs) kidding me? So it was like, Koji beat him clean, but it was like. Wagner was still strong at the end
1: right well of course but he's like he's heavyweight
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah this this match was really I mean it was really I think it's one of the most under I don't ever hear anyone talk about it like you know what I mean like I, I most of the junior matches we've we've just discussed that are really good I've heard about I never hear anyone talk about this I do know that Dave Meltzer gave it four and three quarters at the time and I, I can totally see why, but I never see anybody talk about this match.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't really hear people talking about Wagner in Japan at all.
0: No, not really. I mean, I knew that he worked in New Japan, but like this is... Uh, I mean, until someone shows me something better, this is the best match I've ever seen of him in Japan. Yeah. Oh, oh, and he's the star of this match. Let's not get anything twisted about this. As great as Kenemoto is, and Kenemoto was great in, in the previous match, this is... This is the Doctor Wagner Jr. show. Yeah, like he's the star of this match. Kanemoto's great with his selling and everything, but like it's all about the offense. Kanemoto's just fucking this guy up. Like (laughs) it kind of reminds me of like um, Flair Vader from Starcade '93 a little bit.
1: Mm. Yeah, I can see that.
0: Yeah, or even um, it kind of reminds me also about like like Brian Danielson against like Morishima. Yeah. Like, like, you've got – I think it's one of the few times we're going to see, like, a monster – a giant monster heel in the Super Junior Tournament. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, like, it kind of also reminds me of, like, Joe and AJ.
1: Yeah. So
0: it had those kind of those kind of vibes for me.
1: So uh, after this win here, Koji has an unsuccessful challenge to Liger on July 15th as well as another unsuccessful match on January 4th, 1999, uh, before finally beating Liger for the title on March 17th, 1999.
0: Why does this dude just keep getting rematch after rematch after rematch? What
1: the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) Like, you lost, dude. (laughs) Gotta gotta keep trying.
0: So, uh, from the Observer Notes... um, Koji Kanemoto beats Dr. Wagner Jr. 26 minutes, 17 seconds with the Tiger Suplex to capture the 1998 version of Best of the Super Junior Tournament before a sell crowd of 8,000 at Osaka Cho Gymnasium. It was a surprising final of the three-week tournament, pitting a wrestler who had been on the back burner for most of the year when the junior heavyweight focus had been on Shinjiro Tani, Jushin Liger, and Kendo Kashin and a wrestler from Mexico who had never received a serious push up to that point uh, with new Japan from the reports we received. It was a fantastic match um, with Wagner really getting over and being uh, created as a new title contender in the junior heavyweight division. (coughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Uh, Before doing the job at the end, it was a rare opportunity for junior heavyweights to be able to work at the main event in a singles match, even above the IWGP tag team tournament. Uh, The win sets Kanemoto up for a shot at Jushin Liger's title on July 15th in Sapporo. The tournament was widely considered the least interesting due to the lack of top international heavyweight stars uh, that have been regularly featured, such as Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, and probably meant that it did the least at the box office overall, perhaps in its history. However, did accomplish a purpose in getting Wagner over as a legitimate star, putting focus on Kenemoto, and creating a new Japanese star in uh, Kazayashi, who lost to Kenemoto in the match to, to determine who would go to the finals. And uh, that is pretty much it on these notes, huh?
1: Yeah, then that's just kind of talking about that last paragraph. Just talking about kind of the post-match there a little bit. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So, interesting stuff here. Yeah. Um, and do you have any final thoughts on this 1998 Super Junior match?
1: Overall, really enjoy the match. Like I said, I was uh, 4.75 on it. Uh, great story of Wagner just kind of being this, you know, bigger, bruising kind of heel using submissions and a little, a little bit of high flying to kind of get control of Koji. Koji having to fight back and be the, undercut, the underdog, the baby face, and coming back. Yeah, I think
0: um, obviously we saw some really great stuff. On the first um, the first week of the final countdown you know 88 to 94 there's everything there is very high quality but these four matches that we reviewed here um, even though I wasn't as high in the 95 when you combine 96 97 98 you're t- I think we're talking about an even better second week of you know match reviews
1: yeah I definitely agree with you there
0: so awesome um, and I will say this though I have a strong feeling that because Kendo Cashin is in that 1999 final I haven't seen it yet I bet you if we reviewed that we might not be talking about this being overall better than
1: the first one <laughs> <week. laughs> there, there's a reason why we can't find that match I'm just saying <laughs>
0: Uh, all right, that's going to do it for uh, the second week of uh, The Final Countdown.
1: Yeah, week two in the books. So one last week.
0: I'm loving this stuff.
1: Yeah, dude, this is all, I'm really enjoying this, man. I'm loving kind of going back and learning more about these guys and watching some of these classics.
0: Also, if you guys are listening along, I highly encourage you to watch these matches as well and then get back to us and, you know, uh, you know dialogue with us about it because we, we want to hear from you guys.
1: Yeah, if you need help finding the matches, uh, hit us up, and we'll help you out there. But uh, last thing here, recommended match of the week. So, first of all, did you get a chance to watch my recommendation of Omega and Balor?
0: I did, and was I supposed to love this match?
1: Um, I mean, it was. I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't like five-star fair or anything, but I thought it was a pretty good match. Oh, okay. I think
0: that this is an extremely interesting historical match. But I don't think it's a very good match. Um, I'm like three and a half. And I'm being a little generous when I say that. As far as like match ratings. Um, I thought it was good. I mean, it was fine. It, it, it was definitely interesting to kind of see these two guys at a different time in their careers face off with one another. And, um, they did some stuff that was like pretty cool, but overall the match itself was kind of, I would call it lower tier, to be honest with you. Like I expected a lot more knowing where these two guys were in their career. And also having seen the great Apollo, you know 55 Apollo Gogo matches against uh, the Golden Lovers, those are some of the best junior tag title matches ever <laughs> so I was really expecting a lot more but you know I'm not like mad that, that I watched it I think it's interesting to kind of see where these two guys were both being like future leaders of the bull Club and what they would mean to the wrestling industry long term it's, it, it's still really 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 interesting but um, you know I, I'm like three and a half on it honestly
1: yeah I think I was like three and a half three seven five is where, what I was kind of on it I can't go three seven five on that <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so what's uh, the recommended match for this week?
0: Okay, you know what? I, I had a few different matches in my mind. I am going to recommend to you... Let me see here. Because I want to give you the right date. Um, what? Who? The guy that used to... Okay, I've got his name. Okay. April 1st, 1982... Tiger Mask, this Tiger Mask one versus Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright is the father of Alex Wright from WCW fame. Um, Stephen Wright wrestled all over Europe uh, under the name Bull Blitzer. And very, very rarely under his name, Stephen Wright. There's very little tape on him, and I just want to say this is one of the it, – it's one of the most shocking – junior matches of the 1980s in new japan and it's, it's on uh, world it's on world nice it's like tw- it's like 20 minutes and um you you're about to see someone like f- fucking just outclass satoru sayama in 1982 wow yeah
1: All yeah right.
0: it's 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 pretty cool
1: That's the recommended match of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, we will be back with all the latest news and another final countdown segment. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com and click on the donate button under the Keeping Strong Style logo. Make sure you check us out on social media. The show is at K.I. Strong Style. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex and Facebook.com slash group slash wrestling square circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can also email me, Jeremy, at Social Suplex.com. Also, check out our Discord server, Social Suplex. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Shit Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Bro Men, Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy O., and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. We will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts.
0: Help us find these matches.
1: Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you
0: next time.